Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You know, I get the question all the time. Conrad, I know you help people save money and you help people refinance, but could you actually help me buy a house? Yeah, buddy. Come on now. Buywithconrad.com is your hookup. And let me give you a heads up. You don't need a huge down payment to buy a house in 2022. In fact, you may not need a down payment at all. There are still loan programs out there that can get you out of your apartment and into a brand new house with no money down. And I know it sounds too good to be true, but buddy, we're doing it pretty routinely and you don't have to be a veteran, but yeah, we can still help our veterans get into a house with no money down. But more importantly, we're going to help you get on the path to buy a house this year. You see, a lot of times we have these conversations and folks say, well, I've got a little bit of time left on my lease, or I'm not sure exactly when I'll be ready or how much of a down payment do I need to save up? My advice, don't get ahead of yourself. Let's start the pre-approval process. Let's know what your new house payment could look like. You'll tell us how much down payment you want to have. Maybe the answer is zero. That's cool. And then you'll tell us what you want your monthly payment to be. And then you go shopping for your dream home. But step one starts at buywithconrad.com. And hey, did you know that when you go to file your taxes as a homeowner, you're going to get a statement back from your mortgage company that's going to say, hey, you can write off this amount of interest this year. How much of your rent are you writing off this year? None of it. Oh, and by the way, what's your interest rate on your rent? Well, that would be a hundred percent, pal. You know, you can do better than a hundred percent interest. That's what rent is. Stop throwing your money away. And by the way, we can even help you get rid of your current house and get into a better house. If you already have a house, but you think, you know what? It's time for a new place. We can help you at buywithconrad.com. That's buywithconrad.com. B-U-Y with Conrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. And be sure to ask about our green light underwrite. We can actually get your file completely underwritten, and that allows you to negotiate like a cash buyer at buywithconrad.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to my world. And of course we couldn't do it without the hall of famer himself, double J Jeff Jarrett. Jeff, how are you, man? 
Oh, the moon dogs are howling. The moon dogs are growling. The moon dogs are vicious and mean. How you doing, Conrad? We're uh, headed towards spring break, pal. Yeah, as as folks are listening to this, you and I are both on spring break. We're both in the panhandle of Florida. My family is in Cape San Blas. Your family is in Destin. So if you see us in the streets, holla at a playa. But uh, <laughs> man, I'm so excited to be here today because we're talking about old school TNA. But before we do, I feel like we should, uh, well... Talk about mm. what's causing all this. Of course, we're talking about supershowlive.com. The fourth man has been revealed. It's William Regal. Can you believe we got William Regal fresh off a WWE run two decades there? And uh, we made that announcement right after he made his AEW debut. This is going to be a fun time in Dallas. Is it not? Uh, Conrad, let's, let's take it about what? Maybe first week of January, second week of January. Do you think we'd be sitting here in, uh, Mid-March, t- saying uh, Jeff Hardy and Regal and coming off the heels, you know, in late January of our our sold-out Royal Rumble show with me, you, and Mr. Bischoff and that asshole Cassio. But but anyway, and here we are, and we're not done yet. No, we're not done yet. There are more surprises to come. But speaking of surprises, uh, this past week on AEW, Mr. Matt Hardy got himself in a pretty precarious situation. It looks like Andrade and, um, private party. They all turned their back on Matt Hardy and boy, it was quite the beatdown. when all of a sudden some pretty familiar music played. Yes. The old Hardy boys music hit. And here comes the charismatic enigma himself, Jeff Hardy. He's found a new home. I know a lot of folks were disappointed when his WWE run came to an end, but it looks like we're getting the, uh, the new 2.0 version of the Hardy boys in 2022. And I don't think a lot of people would have had that on their bingo card a couple of years ago. <laughs> bingo card. Don't you just love this industry? Conrad? It's so fun, man. You know, what's old is it's new fun. again. Well, and I don't even, I mean, it's, it's to me, it's not old. It's it's when you hear that theme music hit on a non WWE programming, it's, it's new. That that's, that's never been done. Oh, I'm not saying it's old. I'm just saying I love the nostalgia of it, but what's great about Jeff Hardy is we all sort of grew up, not you, you're old as shit, but the rest of us sort of grew up listening to, or and, and watching Jeff Hardy. And now to know that he's going back to what started it all, our first introduction to him, the Hardy boys, it's, uh, it's awesome. And here's the thing. It's not just a nostalgia thing. Because he's a top guy everywhere he goes, and nobody knows that better than you. I mean, you brought him to TNA, and goodness gracious, he was the top merch seller right away, was he not? Oh, by head and shoulders. Um, and boy, what feedback we got off that trading card, Conrad. Oh. I, I, I mean, I'm talking about online. That people were like, hey, I enjoyed that conversation. And I actually got a text from a buddy of mine and said, hey, do you think? And I go, dude, just buy the. He said, no, I, I'd like to get. Some of those cards. I said, well, then buy the pay-per-view a couple of times. Yeah. It, it really, your conversation and your knowledge and, and all that goes with it. So, um, the Jeff Hardy trading card. Let, let, let me explain what we're talking about. I'm sorry, but yeah, it's such it, a unique opportunity. If you pre-order the pay-per-view for supershowlive.com, it's available on fight. And if you pre-order, and I think it ends tomorrow, Jeff, because we talked about cutting it off at three sixteen. In order for, you know, it to be, I don't know, timely with WrestleMania and stone cold coming back and all that. But if you order by three sixteen, you get this Jeff Hardy trading card. 
And as far as I know, this is his only ever non WWE non TNA trading card. And Jeff, you recall the more rare a trading card is, the more collectible it is, the more value it has. And we're not going to be printing nearly as many as TNA and WWE did. And candidly, there will probably be a Jeff Hardy, AEW trading card, but when will he have a non company branded one? This might be it. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you just peruse eBay, you'll see that there are Jeff Hardy cards listed from thousands of dollars to hundreds of dollars. And here's an opportunity for you to get one in fantastic condition that you can, you know, get rated and mint and the whole day slab it up and the whole deal. And I think you just stick that thing in a safe and buddy, it's, uh, it's going to pay dividends because the pay-per-view is really, really affordable. Go check it out. Supershowlive.com. Again, it's not for everyone who orders the pay-per-view. It's for those who pre-order the pay-per-view. And once, uh, once again, I want to remind you that this is an on-demand service. Fight is on demand. You watch it when you have time. Now, of course you can watch it live and we encourage you to, but if you're in Dallas, maybe you're even going to the super show. Why would you not want the card too? It's going to more than pay for itself in my opinion. And by the way, if you do the whole backstage experience, you can still go ahead and get it autographed and rated right then, uh, or authenticated by PSA DNA. So then, man, I'm telling you, you put that in the slab and send it off. Woo. You got something pretty special, Jeff. That's what's crazy to me is that <laughs> this is what I told the guy just to give him some shit hanging up. I said, okay, you want me to give you money. Yeah. That, kinda. Kinda what you're telling me. He goes, no, no, no. I said, no, you're literally saying, can I get a, a, a more than one card, not buy the pay-per-view. And so you let me just like open up my wallet and give you a couple hundred bucks. He goes, ah, oh, God almighty. And then he had a few choice words for me, but anyway, I'm fired up, bud. It's, it's going to be a good night. More surprises on the way. And we're in WrestleMania season. Yeah. I, uh, I managed to go ahead and narrow down our Airbnb and it's going to be a, a frat house. I think you made a good decision to shield your wife and family from that. Um, <laughs> but we're, we're going to be having a, a lot of fun, man. It's all that we're talking about. We hope you guys are digging it. And just to recap, it's Eric Bischoff. It's Jeff Jarrett. It's Jeff Hardy. It's William Regal all on stage. We got the meet and greet. We've got some real cool surprises that we don't want to announce right now, but it's all happening at supershowlive.com. And don't forget pre-order the pay-per-view. If you can't make it to Dallas, you can't make it. No big deal. Pre-order the pay-per-view, but do it by tomorrow to lock in this trading card. You're going to be so glad you did. And without further ado, let's jump into our show. Jeff, uh, we're talking about TNA from 2007. Uh, coming out of all odds, your dad's old buddy, Wade Keller wrote an article regarding TNA and the crux of it was quote, TNA needs to trust their wrestlers to do their thing. Overbooking is rooted in the lack of faith in wrestling to tell a story. Do you agree with that sentence as a whole, that overbooking is sometimes because you don't have faith and confidence somewhere else? Situationally. Yes, that absolutely can be the case that, um, overbooking or, or not having patience is maybe another way to frame that. Um, you know, and I'm going to go back in a lot of ways, Conrad, this, this entire episode, as far as talking about the, uh, impact, uh, TV shows leading up to destination X 07, um, are, are going to be almost timely, uh, of the era we're in with AEW. We had way too many talent 
that our business model was set up that you only got paid if you appeared on the show. Uh, we were two, taping a lot of times two episodes in one night. So some guys coming to, 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 the, to the event, Conrad, would wrestle on one show and then basically politic all day long. Can I do a run-in? Can I do a backstage? They, they wanted to appear on camera. Uh, just to get a payday and look, I get that. We all want to make money, but that business model, it was such a slippery slope and hard to navigate, but uh, a, a critic. And I say that, or a journalist or however you want to say Wade and Dave and Powell and anybody else that was writing, writing about the show from their point of view, they don't take in financial situations. They don't take in talent relations situations, they look at it as, as a, as a viewer, the best they can with, with their years of experience. And so the end result is, man, they overbooked that crap. They don't have faith in it. When in reality, there's a couple of different angles you can slide down, but in general, situationally, you can absolutely say, Hey, this guy can't talk and this guy can have a great match and we can't expose him this long or no, this guy needs it. Just, there's a thousand. It's like making that wonderful pot of uh, grandma, Jenny stew, uh, that <laughs> this used to joke about, but no, it's, um, man, creative, the old Dutch mentality, uh, adage. If it's great, the talent gets the credit. If it's horrible, creative gets the blame. I like it. There's a funny note in the observer. I want to point out, uh, he would write Pruszynski is really hot at Don West on a broadcast. West in character said, people always ask about if Pruszynski is like the character he portrays in real life. West who called him the most hated man in baseball said he is, and that he's an asshole. And apparently Pruszynski watched the show with friends and took it somewhat seriously. The funny thing is you'd think that that was just West doing the job of an announcer, but it's also a shoot and that the attitude backstage is that he's come across with a big star attitude and he's rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Did you hear about that? So Dave is either doing a magnificent job of writing fiction or he got worked because AJ Pruszynski, much like modern day Pat McAfee. Um, and I'm not saying about the SmackDown announcer I'm talking about, you know, they know how to push buttons. AJ, a great personality behind the desk. I'm not talking about, you know, great, great baseball player, but that's complete nonsense, like complete nonsense. Um, matter of fact, I don't think I know anybody in the world, including Mike today, boy, but I think Don West is the most knowledgeable baseball statistical guy in a lot of ways. And Chicago Cubs is his team and Brzezinski with the Sox. So uh, I have a feeling they were pretty good buddies. So maybe they were having some fun with it, but AJ didn't have any heat backstage and he could have cared less. He also knew, look at him on TV. Uh, he loves playing, loves playing the role of a heel. So total nonsense, Connie. It's reported in the observer that angle and uh, big show are still close friends. And that angle has been talking to show about coming in. Do you remember this ever being discussed? Why did it happen? I heard chatter of all that never directly to me. I knew at the very top of the list, look, we couldn't afford what Paul was making at WWE. Just it's that simple. And I love Paul and, and I've had some, uh, a good run of mac matches with him back in the day, but. Um, I, I never even 
remotely thought that was a, a real possibility of him coming in. Next up stories about Rob Van Dam and the torch saying that he's requested to not have his contract roll over. Is this something that's immediately on your radar? Did you know that he was unhappy? What can you tell us about this? I had to think back at during this era, who all he was friends with or buddies with, or, or in communication with, but he was definitely on the radar off and on. I'll say that. Um, but you know, he had a hell of a run. He was in a lot of ways, like really, really over with WWE. And again, uh, uh, during this era, we got a one hour show, very, very limited budget. Just didn't think financially we could make it work for Rob. It's, uh, it's hard being a small business. Is it not a small business? And look, we were super, oh man. And I, we've gone into kind of super, super granular detail, getting the spike deal. It, it's, it's the, it's the one deal that to, to this day is, I think me being, you know, I was a part of a big team that, that, that accomplished this goal, but man, as soon as we got to this mountain, we, we didn't realize how far up we still had to go because you know, with revenue coming in, uh, man, uh, almost like becoming champion. That's when the hard work starts. So, um, yeah, t tough, a one hour show with, with a lot of talent and, and just not a lot of money to go around. So there's a, this is TNA show that aired on Monday night after the pay-per-view. There's no competition with WWE here because of the dog show. So the opening of the program here features Eric young sitting in the living room, surrounded by dogs. When he notices T TNA is on and he gets excited. Um, what'd you think of that open? It, it's a little simplistic. Uh, and I don't know who from production. I don't know if it's Kevin Sullivan. I, I don't know. David's hottie. I don't know where it came from, but, but look, this let's back up just, just so you know, Thursday nights was impacts regular time slot. Uh, traditionally once a year, raw was preempted on the USA network by the Westminster dog show. Um, and so the dog show was opposite, um, you know, impact on, on, on being aired on a non-traditional night on a Monday night, our budgets were super thin. And so how do we basically have a cold open with original content? Cause <clears throat> Conrad, as you'll get into the format of the show, we knew that we were going to somewhat be able to present because of economic reasons, a best of. So how do we create a little bit of a unique cold open? I thought it was fun. And Eric was the perfect guy to do this kind of stuff. He loves dogs, but his mannerisms and everything with it. So, uh, I thought his, I thought it was a little different off the beaten path. I, I was in favor of it. I, uh, I think it's really smart to make sure that you've got some wrestling that airs that day. Uh, since you know, they're preempted. So good on you guys. The rest of the show features some of the best matches from TNA's history. You got King of the mountain from Slammiversary of six. Uh, you got LAX beating AJ and Daniels in a steel cage match. You got sting beating you at bound for glory with Kurt angle involved Christian beating Rhino in the eight mile street fight. Kurt being Samoa Joe really, really strong showing. And there's also a top five countdown for the top moments in TNA history, including C Christian cage arriving AJ versus Joe versus Daniels, uh, you attacking Hogan in Japan stings debut and his return to pro wrestling. And number one is Kurt angles, TNA debut 
I mean, you're really making the most of this opportunity. This is some good stuff to showcase here. Is it not? Yeah. And you know, I, I think back in the day, if I recall, and even sometimes in the research, there was a, and I'm saying the research was picked up on whether it's Meltzer or Keller or whatever the critics were is why didn't y'all run a live show on Monday? It wasn't going to make sense because Monday nights and, and, and the obviously extremely superior dominant uh, following was WWE. So we wanted to present basically a sample of a little bit of everything and showcase as much star power, Hogan sting as you know, as you just went through all the names. So I thought we did a, a, a hell of a job to the top five moments. I can remember in the, in the, in the, you know, production, creative, throwing around ideas. What are we going to put our best foot forward? And, and I, the thing that I singularly remember the most was Kevin K and spike just giving us this time slot for free. I mean, that's that was that was a vote of confidence for us for sure and and well played this show also unveils elevation x which is going to be a new structure to be debuted here at destination x that we're talking about today where does the idea come from who all helps put it together what can you tell us about it well the x the ultimate x match in a lot of ways is a ladder match without a ladder it, it's the, you, letting the x division guys the highly highly athletic uh, young guys, um, have a, a, a new set, a new stage, a new playground, if, if you will. And elevation X was in my mind, what I wanted to create was basically a modern version of a scaffold match. Uh, you know, you could have a scaffold match, which is horizontally, you know, a, across the ring. So, you know, us having the six sided ring and what's the look going to have. And so that's why we came up with the elevation X, uh, concept, tried to make it as safe as possible. Um, you know, there's only so much you can do on any kind of scaffold. If you go back and watch my father against Don green in Louisville, um, you can hear the people screaming and hollering, obviously a different era, but they didn't do a lot. You know, they were both sort of hanging on for dear life. And so scaffold matches or elevation X, X matches, it's really about, you know, the intrigue in it, but actually match quality. Nobody, nobody expected, okay, this is going to be a five-star barn burner, you know, 20 feet above the 25 feet or however tall it was above the, above the floor. And, um, you know, there's only so much you can do, but we made the platform is wide. There's an X shaped and it's basically a, a scaffold match. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Science tells us the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep is by lowering our core body temperature. You see, temperature-controlled sleep repairs our muscles after a hard day's work, and it improves our cognitive function, so you always start your day feeling sharp and alert. Chili Sleep makes customizable climate-controlled sleep solutions that help you improve your entire well-being. Chili Sleep makes the Uller, that's the one I have, and the Cube Sleep System. Both are hydro-powered, temperature-controlled mattress toppers that fit over your existing mattress to provide you your ideal sleep temperature. 
These luxury mattress pads keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep sleep, whether you sleep hot or cold. These sleep systems are designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. Imagine waking up and not feeling tired. Chili sleep can make that happen. For an extra layer of comfort, they also make the chili blanket. It's the only weighted blanket that can also be paired with a control unit for the ultimate sweat-free sleep. Head over to chilisleep.com forward slash my world to learn more and save 30% off. That's right. 30% off the purchase of any new cube or Uller sleep system. This offer is available exclusively for my world with Jeff Jarrett listeners and only for a limited time. That's chili C H I L I sleep.com slash my world to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up refreshed every day. Guys, I love chili sleep. You've heard me brag about it. I even took it to the beach with me this week. But one thing I want you to know, this is the best offer chili sleeps ever had. Even I didn't get 30% off. Are you kidding? This is the best offer ever. Check it out. 30% off. It won't last forever, but they've got it right now. And it's worth a look. That's chili. C H I L I sleep.com forward slash my world. And an interesting look, looking one as well. Uh, the show was described, uh, with a disappointing rating in the torch write up. He gave it a 1.18 rating. Or he didn't give it. I mean, that's what it earned. That's one and a half million viewers, which was down from what impact did in its regular slot the week before he writes the positive spin is that it outdrew the typical show in that tame in that science. I'll start again. The positive spin is that it outdrew the typical show in that time slot by 115%. And was number three that night among ad supported cable network programming in the key male 18 to 49 and male 25 to 34 demographics, failing to draw any more viewers than their usual numbers. It can be seen as nothing more than an opportunity to steal away WWE viewers. The name, this is TNA was terrible going to a best of format, which may have been a big mistake and the lack of really strong hype going in hurt it all. That being said, if impact goes up a 10th of a point over the next few weeks, it'll be a sign that some raw viewers did tune in and like what they saw and decided to sample some TNA on Thursdays. I mean, I kind of dig the idea of doing the best of, because you don't know when you're putting out new content, first of all, that's a new cost to produce. And I think that almost never gets discussed in the newsletters, but there's new travel, new satellite time, new production costs, new building costs, new paydays for guys. Whereas. And you might not be exactly where you want to be storyline wise to do that versus this is, Hey man, let's in a vacuum, show you some major moments and see if you're interested enough to come sample it. I kind of get the, the rationale behind the business and actually managing expectations. Let's just show nothing but home runs. I get it. Did you ever consider doing anything besides the best of? No, and it wasn't for a creative perspective. It was a financial. Again, yeah. we're running on a shoestring budget, and Spike, for the lack of a better phrasing, said, hey, oh, and I don't know who went to who first, but knowing that Raw's off the air, we got an opportunity. Hey, let's make the best of it. We don't have money in the budget to, to give it, so if you're going to produce something, original content, it's coming out of your pocket, and from a creative perspective, why are we going to give away something on an off night? It just, for all the reasons it didn't make, it didn't line up, but we did want them to come sample knowing that our regular viewing audience on Thursday nights, we hope they follow us to Mondays and we hoped that 
some Raw wrestling fans on Monday night weren't dog fans and didn't want to watch the dog show and said, hey, let me sample. I've seen that Sting guy before. I've seen that Jeff Jarrett guy before. I've seen Christian Cage and Kurt Angle and Scott Steiner and whoever else we had in there. And let me give it a shot. And the rating, that's when you top, you know, when you set that at the top just a second ago, we were all thrilled because the main reason we were thrilled, Spike was thrilled because you gave that statistic. It's up over 100% as whatever they would have aired in that time slot. So it was a win for Spike, which absolutely made it a win for TNA. It's interesting that Wade could even view this as a negative to me because the reality is you had a million new people watching or a million more people watching TNA on Monday than you would normally have. Uh, this was a, a gift. It was an opportunity. Uh, why not make the most of it? But he's also critical of uh, something else quote the voiceover during a vignette introducing TNA on the, this is TNA Monday night special said the wrestlers do what they do quote, not for the multi-million dollar contracts because TNA doesn't have any, but because quote for TNA wrestlers, it's an addiction. I think that's a fair point in saying, Hey man, these are not your spoiled pamper pampered athletes that maybe you see people get criticized for or criticized, uh, online on social media. These are guys who are out there doing it for the love of the game, but maybe that's not the best way to present that. Would that be fair to say it, the, the, I don't recall this at all, the VO. And so I'm not saying that I, I wasn't a part of the approval process, but I just don't recall it. But one thing's for sure. It didn't age. Well, yeah, I get the point that, that, you know, where the direction they were going. Uh, but to back up a step that you, you said, I don't know why Wade would criticize it over the last gosh, now Conrad, I don't even know if I brought this up to you last couple of months that some folks were talking, we were talking about the TNA, uh, oh, five, oh, six, oh, seven, eight, oh, nine. And then in 10, as it, you know, it's Dave and Wade and, and the, the journalist, if you will, got to make their money. You know, it was their line of work. They had to get clicks. They had to get this, they get that. And I think a lot of times WWE was really the only game in town until we, we got a spike deal. And so it's, it, it's, it's all about driving clicks and and hotlines and all that kind of stuff because i don't think today wade would agree with what he even wrote i just don't it, it's like why would we have spent money to go on an off night it, you know yes the phrasing of the cold open but yeah him and dave doing their job making their money Meltzer points out that spike really didn't report uh, promote this outside of impact episodes anyway uh, was that disappointing to you at times that you feel like spike could have done more than they did. And see, this is where, man, there were some inner office. I don't want to call them knockdown drag outs, but there was a high level of frustration, not just in when we first started, but through the years. And, and I just said, guys, I, I don't think you really understand how spike views us. And how USA Network and Bonnie Hammer views professional wrestling. People tune in and tune out. It, it's just the nature of the beast. 
You can do crossovers all you want, but only in modern time, the last three to five years. But so Spike only running advertising within Impact, it's just how their world works. It's how the television world works. And they would launch a new program of pros versus Joe's or they did their very best throughout the entire relationship until the very end when things had soured and people on our side didn't treat spike the right way. But for the most part, man, they did everything they could to, to help us. And it didn't make sense to say, Hey folks. I mean, they ran, uh, they didn't do anything off channel in, in, on, on spike. They ran plenty of crawls and teasers and tune in on Monday nights, but yeah, they were good partners. Here's some other news quote. Raven brought his new wife to the weekend shows, which surprised almost everyone since nobody knew he even had a serious girlfriend or that he'd gotten married at a team meeting. Jeff Jarrett reiterated that nobody is allowed to do any media, particularly any internet interviews, unless first approved by the office. We'll see if they crack down on the guy who does weekly crazy radio spots. <clears throat> Hogan. Jared also said that no girlfriends, wives, or families are allowed to be back in the wrestlers area backstage. Um, so what did Raven's new wife do? <laughs> we got some news and notes. A lot to unpack there that I do remember. I tried to wreck my brain in the research. I don't look, I was as shocked as anybody. I had no idea that he'd gotten married. Like none. Um, but so we got to make sure that we cover all your bases there. As far as look, Universal Studios, it was always a big challenge. I didn't want to be the bearer of bad news, but that was our work environment. But when you're working 30 yards from uh, a theme park, wives and girlfriends and kids, hell, I brought my own family multiple times through the years. So but and also, I was very respective of, look, these are the guys' dressing rooms. These are the ladies' dressing rooms. This is our creative room. This is our production. This is catering. And and there were it would ebb and flow, but there would be oftentimes through the years where backstage would end up looking like a holding area for the theme park or a gathering or a social, out, you know, all that. And look, some guys would, would come and, and make at a point that they kept their wife and family at their hotel or they didn't bring them to work. Everybody had different philosophies. Um, me and Dixie had different philosophies, big time. I said, Dixie, this is the place of work. And although I want my kids here, there's it's taboo. They don't go in the dressing room. They don't hang out the go position. There, there's certain areas that you just, you know, you, you don't have a, a group of girlfriends go in here and make up. It, it's not a social gathering. It's a place of work. So <clears throat> there were often times when there would be head bunting am, uh, amongst folks. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, so Raven's wife, we covered that. I had no idea. I don't recall what happened. I know there was some scuttlebutt or, or something that went down, but it we obviously passed pretty quickly. Um did I answer all your questions, Conrad? <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> um, the issue that raw will be running head to head with impact on Thursday to replace the miss Monday episode of raw. And they're going to have Donald Trump there continuing to build up their battle of the billionaires. So Monday is a nice thing, but are you nervous for Thursday to go head to head? Yes. J just because. You know, WWE at this time, man, I may be off and I don't know if the notes are in there, but I think they were doing around 5 million viewers a week on, on Mondays, a lot, four or 5 million viewers, three, anyway, a lot. 
you dump a show with that kind of following, if half of them show up, we're taking a butt whipping. So very much so. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to look back <clears throat> at this time and to think, okay, this WrestleMania set the record in theory, this content that they were creating created the biggest box office attraction of all time. Pretty fascinating to take a walk down memory lane and view it from that perspective. Little did we know. Yeah. The future. Talent. Pre- president. The uh, yeah. It's crazy to look back on all that, but yeah. Um, but sure. Your question was, were we worried? Hell yes. And spike. That's another good thing about Brian diamond and Scott Fishman. They looked at it, not from a wrestling lens, from that television lens. And it's like when football would come up or whatever it is, they expected to take a kick in the nuts, period. So before we get to the TV tapings, there's talk in the torch that James Mitchell was written off TV quote, sting and abyss were all surprised and disappointed when they were informed that Mitchell was being removed from the storyline at the time. What happened? So I don't, I don't, I don't believe that's completely accurate. I think that we had a beat in the, uh, the story that James went away. I know James, you know, lived in Orlando and there were times when his, again, the challenges of a small business, we weren't providing him with a full-time living and he ran a very successful karaoke business. Did you know that about father Jim? Oh yeah. Okay. I thought, yeah, I, I would assume you would, but anyway, his, his shoot job as the, the boys call it, but no, his nine to five, his main source of income. Uh, there were often times that he said, I, I can't, I, I can't break away. I, I've got to do, uh, I got to take care of my bills. Yeah. And we understood that. So I think that was the occasion here. So on February 15th, it's a three hour block of TNA running against a two hour raw. The first two hours, uh, TNA runs the, this is TNA again. And then against the second hour of raw, you're going to run your new episode of impact. Uh, the show was taped earlier in the week around a snowstorm in the Northeast and Meltzer had this to say, there were lots of weather problems getting to the February 26 tapings with lots of late arrivals. The maddest was probably homicide. who was going to fly from Chicago into Orlando after the ROH show and get in a day early. Instead, he was buzzed while on tour asking if he had brought his tag team title with him. He said he was told he was only doing a run in and wasn't going to need his belt. They told him there was a change in plans, So he had to fly back home to New York to get the belt and then fly to Orlando where he arrived late. When he got there, they told him there was another change in plans and he was only doing a run in and he wasn't going to need his belt. I can only imagine you tell us if you remember this, but I can only imagine how pissed off Jeff Jarrett would be if that happened to him in 2022. What happened to me? Hypothetically, if this same story was not homicide, but Jeff Jarrett, my friend, Jeff would not be fucking happy. Do you think your friend, Jeff would have traveled without the belt? No. Okay. I, I, and this, this specific incident, I don't specifically recall it, but numerous times I have been asked by our old Freddie friend, uh, Danny Engler, AKA Rudy Charles, or maybe a JB through the years, or you just name it, plug and play Bob Ryder. They would say, Hey, so-and-so has got another book in. And he's going to be coming to Orlando. Does he need to bring his belt? 
and I would say, does a carpenter need to leave the house without his tools ever? It would, Conrad, it would infuriate me that guys would be that lazy. Oh, I don't want to carry it through the airports. Okay. Okay. Then let's just rewrite creative because you're lazy. Well, that isn't really what I mean. Well, no. What do you mean? Do you want to be champion or not? Well, yeah, I think it worked. Do you think? Well, then how hard is it? Well, it makes my bag heavy. Oh God. It's just, I guess it was a sign to come of the world of millennials, but that's another podcast for another genre. (laughs) So on uh, February 15th, Scott Steiner is going to cut a promo about Kurt angle, stealing his spot. He says he beat more guys than angle did in WWE angle then interrupts. And that leads to a fight in the ring and Samoa Joe makes the save. Here's some lines that Steiner hit. I don't care how many times triple H had to sleep with the boss's daughter. I beat him. Kurt angle. I know I'm better than you because your wife keeps calling me. She wants to know what it's like to be with a real man. She wants satisfaction from a genetic freak. Kurt angle. Tell your bitch to stop calling. Scott Steiner is nothing. If not entertaining with a microphone in his hand. Oh man. I used to just the nitros and that's on a different episode, but the first couple of times the big, bad booty daddy would do these kind of promos in, in nitro on nitro. By the time he got to TNA, I was used to him and you know, I, I, it, it was big Papa. So there wasn't a lot of shock value for me personally, but I I just can remember some folks here in Scott for the first time when he would just go, hard and down a rabbit hole and relentless. And they're like, did you hear Steiner's promo? Did, did you hear what it, man, he's crazy, man. That was good though. Right. <laughs> so yeah, only big Papa can deliver a promo, but, uh, all kidding aside, the, um, the verbal joust that went down between Scott and Kurt, if nothing, it was super intense. Some so raw and unpolished. It was, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it it's that train wreck of a promo that you have to rubber neck. Like, wow, it's it's a, you know, it may not be polished and come out like a Jerry Lawler and Austin Idol or a Paul Heyman type promo, but man, raw and uncut and and uh, to the point. It was good. Time to tell you about something I'm super passionate about: protecting your family. Yes, this is a life insurance ad for goliathlife.com. But to me, this is really about peace of mind. Think about insurance for a second. We all get medical and auto insurance, yet we never even know if we're going to have a need for it. Let me let you in on a little secret. You need life insurance. We're all going to die. Now, as you let that reality sink in, think about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow. If you don't have a plan for that, you need to visit goliathlife.com. And I mean, right now. And just personally, I've lost two friends in their forties this past year and a half. And I don't even want to think about what their families would be going through. Had they not had life insurance, if you don't have it, get it, protect your family. And I suggest you go to goliathlife.com because they've made the process of getting affordable life insurance. Super easy. Goliath life streamlines the life insurance process by allowing you to get quotes for more than 20 carriers within minutes. And you'll pick your terms and payments to fit your budget. You pick your price. You start the online application immediately and even schedule the medical exam to come to you. And I've done it. 
They sent someone to my office. I skipped the phone calls, the paperwork, and the crazy invasive conversations. Goliath Life makes buying life insurance simple. There's no hidden fees, no upsells, no hassle. Hell, not even a phone call. Goliath Life is life insurance in your hands on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at goliathlife.com. So let's talk about, um, the gauntlet for the gold. It's not really the gold, but a title shot. And there's 14 men here. Jeremy Borash would interview Christian cage. Who's trying to convince Steiner and Tomko to toss everyone out of this number one contender gauntlet and forfeit the match. Of course, they don't like the idea LAX, which at this point is homicide and Hernandez with Conan as their second are going to beat shark boy and Norman smiley in a non-title match. Team 3D appears on the video screen after the match to challenge LAX to another match. And then we've got a fellow from the Sopranos appearing with the Dudleys. How in the world did this connection get put together? Hey, that's in the early days of Spike. He was, it was a Spike personality that they wanted to integrate. And I just remember it being a layup. Of course, Bubba was a Sopranos watcher and it just fit in. And Joe was just a great guy and um yeah just a quick little cameo but but all done on spike's dime and said hey can you guys get him in gay you know involved in a show we're like hell yeah and and um bubba was the guy to do it it's uh it's interesting that you've got an opportunity to have you know somebody from that cast my favorite show is where does sopranos rank for you <sighs> I'd, I'd love to go back in time and, and you may have the, a similar kind of reaction here. Dutch loves it. He absolutely, I mean, he watched it. However you want to say it real time, huge Sopranos guy. And he said, Hey Jeff, come here. He said, I want to lay something out. And he goes into this story about a Sopranos episode and can maybe get a little long winded. I guess you could say. And he looks up at me with his glasses kind of off the end of his nose. He goes, you, you have watched Sopranos before. I looked at him. I said, nope. Conrad, he cussed me for about three minutes. (laughs) He said, you've never Conrad. I'm not a Sopranos watcher. You've never watched it. No. Folks, on listening just on audio, Conrad just completely put up. He he either hung up or just all I see is but oh yeah, here we go. Don't stop believing. Yep, I know that's the theme song, and I know the out shot, and I know the last deal, and all of that. And <laughs> oh, I guess I deserve to be chastised. Uh, how can I trust your opinion on anything? If you don't even know what good TV is, I knew this was going to happen. This all makes so much sense. One of the guys who's been creating television that we wrestling fans have been watching for the last 20 years has never seen the greatest show in the history of television. (laughs) You'll watch wrestling society X. You watch fucking MLW. We know what the fuck's going on with Game Changer. Tony Soprano, no idea. 
<laughs> Who are you? What is this? I knew it. I I, I had a feeling. But How do you have time to watch Monday Night Raw every week? Veer's never coming. They're lying to you. He'll never be here. But Sopranos, no time for that. What's on impact? What? I, well, Conrad, uh, this is my world. I got to be completely transparent and honest. It, it, I couldn't bullshit my way through that and say, oh, yeah, it's a, they rank number three or something like that. <laughs> I'm just mad. Today's show I, just I got cut in half. I'm just mad. I, I know. Well, Conrad, I have, you know, look, there's a lot of folks that uh, will say, hey, did you see that movie? Nope. You see we talk sports. I'll go down that rabbit hole with you and certain TV shows and certain movies. How do you talk- sit through all those volunteer games where you just got your ass beat up and down the field? <laughs> Don't you want a little creative release every oh, now and man. again? I love documentaries and true crime and true stories and all that kind of stuff. But I look, I will say this. There's a few things out there that I go now that this streaming and I can sit down and watch I run through it. My daughter in the last, I don't know, 12 months during the pandemic. So maybe longer than that watched every episode of the office. And she's like, dad, it's the greatest show. And I'm like, yeah, uh, I'm an office watcher. I've watched that before. I said, have you watched big bang theory? Nope. I said, well, get over on that. So wait a minute. You're, you're over here whacking off the office and big bang theory, but you won't watch Sopranos. <laughs> Can I get a commitment from you while you're down at Destin? You'll watch five episodes of the Sopranos deal. Five episodes across a week, not a lot, but I think, you know, I'm going to hold you to it. Now you're going to have to do a book report next week here on the show. So start with season one, right? Start with season one, episode one, and give it some, some gravity there, or give it some live. I don't know what else, some leeway. There it is. I'll get it because that's the pilot. It was shot a couple of years before, so they don't really know exactly what the hell they're doing, but you get introduced to all the characters, but there's a couple of scenes where you're like, well, that's way out of context for the Sopranos. I, would, I don't, bit. I wouldn't know that I'll, I'll, I'll dive in. So watch episode know. one, but that ain't really the show. But by the time you're to end ep- episode five, you'll be like, okay, I get it. So Dutch has given me this dog cussing before Vince Russo's given me this dog cussing before now, Conrad, you know, who else Karen looked at me like I had like just. Uh, I was an alien. She goes, what? Yeah. Cause she's smart. <laughs> oh, God. Go to hell. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, okay. Let's circle back to the episode. Joe, who, uh, I believe he's no longer with us. I believe he passed away a few years ago. Um, who are we talking go- about? The, the guy, Joe, uh, Shripa, who did the cameo. Look, now I'm, I'm really going to get out of bounds here. That ain't even his name. His name is Steve and he's still got a, he's got a Sopranos podcast. He's alive and freaking well. No, he's not. Yes, he is. He's only 64 years old. You're thinking about the guy who played Tony Soprano that's it. and that's James Gandolfini. God, I mean, I just don't even want to be your friend anymore. You know, <laughs> last week I had to learn about the fucking moon dogs and you can't learn about the Sopranos. Like I'm way more in pop culture knowing about the Sopranos than you are. Well, hell, wait a minute. You, I educated you on that Randy Colley. Wait, it was great stuff. I'll give you that. Go check it out. If you haven't already, we got a whole playlist. Yeah. Oh. I, know, I know people download different shows based on the topic and they think, oh, I want to hear this. I want to hear that. You got to listen to all these, uh, go back and check out the moon dog one specifically, but I want to ask about this. 
It's noted in the observer that Jackie is no longer miss Tennessee because one of the beauty pageants contacted TNA. So now she's Jackie Moore, the pride of Tennessee. That's kind of funny. Is it not? <laughs> you can't call her miss Tennessee. Okay. Who gives a shit? What, what are we doing? I mean, I don't even know if that's real, that I just, I kind of think that's probably some BS that Dutch probably created and said, Hey, this is what we got to tell. And so it, it ended up hitting the sheets. Hell, I don't remember that BS. And you really think a damn pageant service is going to contact. Don't call her. Tennessee. Uh, I got to ask about this. There's a paparazzi segment with Jay lethal and friend of the show, Sanjay Dutt trying out for a uh, mock American idol. And it's the first time I think I remember seeing Jay lethal do the macho man, Randy Savage impersonation. When did you first realize Jay could do this? I assume one day in the backstage area. Backstage, I think actually the first was on an overseas tour. Um, and I'm not sure what it was, but certainly backstage, I there for a while to try to take a break in the day and a stressful, stressful taping day. If we're waiting on a pre-tape crew to move from one set to another, and we've sort of got talent ready and engaged and Jay's walking by many times, I just holler out at Jay, Jay, come here, dig it. You know, we just have, we, to this day, I had lunch with him not long ago. To this day, we we have a lot of fun with it. But um, that side of Jay Lethal, to me, is so marketable. And, and, and we're not seeing it still. I mean, I thought for sure he, he all he needed. Sure. Yes. I get that it didn't really fit maybe that Ring of Honor mold, although. No, I, I got that. But I thought, man, when he gets on TV yes. for, for AEW, they're going to make that a regular. Because listen, we've got other fun characters. We've got orange Cassidy. We got Dan Housen. So they get yeah. the entertainment aspect. I mean, some of the sure. skits that the young bucks have done, but we haven't seen it yet. I'm not giving up hope though. I'm hoping I'm hopeful. It still comes, but yeah, I, it was, a, it was backstage Jay doing this and then it fit into go ahead. The paparazzi scene we're about to get, get into. Um, so then we've got the, uh, the gauntlet, uh, we've got two men are going to start. Uh, one entrant comes in every minute and then the final two have an actual wrestling match. So it's sting versus AJ to start. And then Rhino, Saban, Kip, James, James, storm, abyss, angle, Joe, rude, BG, James, Eric, young Steiner. And it comes down to Joe and Tom co. And afterward, Christian cage and Kurt angle fight in the ring until security separates everyone. The ratings. Well, they're not pretty. Impact did a 0.6 rating, almost half of your previous eight week average of a 1.0. The good news is, is that you drew as it went on. The quarter hours went from a 0.59 to a 0.62, a dip down to 0.52, and then back up to six point or 0.64, which by the way, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are thinking, oh yeah, that sounds about right. Let me just add context, 850,000 viewers for your last quarter hour. So there's been a whole, that's more than NXT gets. And there's been a whole lot of dynamites and, and I don't think rampage has hit that very many times. So it's not an, it's not a total disaster of a number, but it's not where you had been, but you probably expected that going in just based on being head to head with WWE. Conrad, will you real quickly go over those four quarter hours? Point point five, nine point six, two point five, two point six, four. Just as a little, uh, education here that we try to, uh, educate folks that third quarter hour. That had a dip. Do you know why it dipped, Conrad? Without me even looking at it, just I, I've just tried to. to, to I would guess that's the Trump segment. No, two commercial breaks. Mm. 
so, so the, the, the dip, you, you kind of have to figure out how you're going to play that commercial break game. And we always wanted to not have a commercial break in the fourth quarter hour to get that cum up. And, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a ratings kind of a chess piece that um, a lot of times when you watch quarter hours on a, on an hour show, the third quarter hour is the commercial quarter hour that you kind of got to squeeze stuff in there so you can finish strong. And you can tell by the writing of this show, we knew we had huge competition and a gauntlet is a way to have a music and entrance every minute or every hat 90 seconds. That's about as good a counter programming. And look, we knew what we were up against, but let's give them a new star, have a little suspense and intrigue. Who's going to come through star power, star power, I want, star power. I want to take a time out. Cause you glossed over something there that I think is a teachable moment for a lot of our listeners. I, I mean, a lot of folks were critical of this idea to have a gauntlet and 14 guys. And, you know, it's not really for a title or for the title it's for a title shot and da, 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 da. So I could see how in a vacuum, you might say, no, I don't really like that. But if you're yeah. in, if you're in competition, and you know, all of a sudden there's not really a Thursday night war, but kinda there's a live other wrestling show that now you're competing with. How do you keep people from changing the channel suspense? Sometimes when you're going back and forth, it's okay. You're checking in to say, let me just see what's going on. Lord knows I've done that a lot on Wednesdays. Let me just check in and see what's going on. But if while I'm there, there's a countdown clock and it tells me somebody new's coming in X number of seconds, I'm not changing the channel. Cause I want to see who's coming next. And I might want to see who that is before I decide to check something else out. So let's run through the stars again. We start with who sting and AJ styles. Then we got Rhino out, then Chris Saban, then Kip James, Kip James, by the way, you know, was Billy Gunn in case you're not sure about that. James storm abyss, and then Kurt angle. And then Samoa Joe, who just have had barn burners. Then Bobby Roode, BG James, we know better as Road Dog. And then Scott Steiner coming in at the end. So you've sprinkled out, quote unquote, WWE familiar names. It's well done. Uh, you know, I thought you know, you guys did a great job with that idea to say, hey, man, if I'm trying to compete and I want to keep them from changing the channel. Let's do something we might not normally do. Let's slide a bunch of entrances out there, do a little countdown, the whole jazz. And I have not watched this episode back, but I'd be willing to bet that we went to commercial break about the time Kurt Angle started down that aisle. Trying to hang something through the commercial break. Yeah. Come back and see who Kurt's eliminated or going to because you got to pick a break spot. Obviously, this wasn't live, so you tape it, and we probably wrote it that hey, let's give ourselves the best option for the people who are going to flip or probably going to flip going to commercial break, but let's try to entice them. Hey man, let's go back and see who Kurt kicked, whose ass Kurt kicked and who's coming out next. Give what we could. Overall, when the numbers come out, you disappointed. Uh, again, uh, it's almost like the, uh, you've been in these I don't say relationships, but business relationships or personal relationships. As long as my partner's pretty happy, I'm good. Hey, Spike, you happy? Oh yeah, we're good. We, we, we all knew that we were going to take it on the chin. It was just how bad going into it. It wasn't so much how bad we were going to get our ass whipped on this Thursday. It's the following. Are, are, are they coming back? Did we, did, did we just lose? You know, we don't want to, we want to have the graph going up, not down. I love that. 
Uh, unfortunately, some bad news here. Mike awesome passes away the Sunday after impact airs. He's only 42 years old. Mike awesome was a guilty pleasure of mine. I loved his stuff. And, and, uh, FMW, I was a big tape trader in 97, 98. When he came on the scene in ECW, I was so excited. You couldn't convince me that he wasn't uh, a super badass with his title run there. The WCW thing was just a miss. The WWF thing had to be disappointing. You worked with Mike for a little bit. 42 years old and the way it happened, just awful. Anything else to add? You know, I knew Mike, um, gosh, I wish I could, uh, but he had a hiccup in Memphis. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the first time that I I'd met him, been around him not long. And then, um, you know, at WCW, uh, when, um, Gary Coleman, uh, that superstar, I was wrestling Mike that night. Uh, so me and Mike had some. Some pretty cool moments. I love him. He was such a kind of a, he's the big offensive tackle uh, on the team that everybody loves. He, he, he just was a good natured guy, uh, but man, hell of an athlete. And you know, there was a time at ECW that you just thought, man, he's, he's going to the next level. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he's just one of those guys, man, he's Heyman really had the jets and everything that went with it. So back in the day, there were a lot of guys who were his size and they worked a big man style. Mike awesome was really the first guy who did not Mike, awesome, Mike awesome as far in my opinion was the first guy who's like, yeah, I can jump over that. Yeah. I can jump off that. Yep. And, and, and smaller guys have been doing that for a long time, but he's probably the first big guy that we saw do it. And. I don't know. It worked for me. I was convinced he was going to be a huge star and ultimately it didn't happen. Maybe the way, the way we would have liked. Let's talk about Vince Russo. Uh, he's in the news in the torch, uh, TNA management wants Vince Russo to relocate to Nashville from Atlanta, where he currently lives. Russo of course is hesitant to do this because he has school age kids and the long-term assurances in the wrestling business backstage. Maybe aren't exactly what he would like. Cornette's on the team too. What do you remember about this, this push to, we got to get you to move over. It, it was a Dixie and look, hindsight's 2020, you know, it, it, it just is, uh, at the time I wasn't, that's going to tell, I wasn't completely aware of kind of the sidebars and the back channels, but Dixie wanted Vince full time, but in reality, she wanted him full time. So she could run creative. I, I, I just really wasn't aware of that. But Vince, to his credit or discredit or whatever, he he's like, I want to write the show by myself. And contrary to sometimes what he'd say, oh no, I'll take no. At the end of the day, he wanted to write his show by himself. And it always came down to if you're not going to commit. And I mean, and, and relocation is one thing, but full commit is another. And look, it's, we're, we're not in the age of zoom during this time frame. You know, it was just a different era and he, you know, he just, and I got it. His kids were in school. So there's the flip side of that, but he wanted his cake and eat it too, so to speak. But it was an ongoing running conversation from day one until it was all over in 2012, 13. 
So, uh, it's reported in the observer that David young had a hell of a spine buster. Elix skipper, maybe the biggest, most underrated moment in TNA history and a one were all cut. Is this just the dreaded budget cut circumstance that we've been talking about? Well, the one hour show, man, what a, let me say how to, what, what a situation. And again, and a lot of times it's so applicable to today in that if you're under contract, even, you know, AEW guys are under contract and they're getting paid whether they work or not, that is nice and fine and dandy, but there sets an expectation in life. Well, David and a one and Elix and others had an expectation that their opportunity was coming and Dutch was always, and I learned this not just from Dutch, but my dad and, and others just observing and listening to them. You're better off letting a guy go. And as you are well aware in the world is Vince uh, oftentimes didn't subscribe or does subscribe. Anyway, let a guy go, just let him go. Um, it does everybody a favor and it, 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 it removes the expectation that they're going to get a spot on the show coming up. And at this time, we had way too many talent. God almighty. I can't imagine, you know, having 150, 170 guys. I think we had like 40 or, or maybe 50 under contract, which was 20 too much at times. Um, certainly. So yeah, this was, uh, not, not a budget cut because they didn't get paid unless they worked on the show. It, it was really a let let's let's part ways. So the expectation is no longer there. And if we need you, we'll call you and use you if you're available. By now, you know that everything is crazy overseas and well, that's created some volatility in the market. We actually saw rates tick down a little bit this week. We don't know how long it'll stay that way. All the experts are predicting that there is going to be a rate hike this month in the month of March. Some are saying 25 basis points. Others are saying 50. What does that mean? It means waiting will cost you money. And by the way, I want to mention this is still a once in a lifetime opportunity just based on your real estate values. You see all of a sudden your house is worth considerably more than it was just a couple of years ago. And as a result, you can use that newfound equity to change your life. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners take their 30 year loan and pay it off in half the time. And how can they afford to do that without their payments going sky high? We get rid of all their other debt. And I mean it as a heads up. What would you do if you had no credit card debt? Just like that. It was all paid off. How much easier would life be if those car payments, whoop, they're out of here. No more car payments. That is the story that we're able to help our friends and family with at SaveWithConrad.com. You see, the interest you pay on your credit cards, not tax deductible, and sky high. The interest you pay on your car loans. Buddy, where is that going? What if we could restructure all of your debt, use some of this newfound equity, and at the same time, get you out of debt faster? You see, what we're talking about is reducing the time on your mortgage. Yes, we're going to get you a great rate, but if you're in a 30-year loan, think about what your life looks like 30 years from now. Man, life gets a lot easier when you're completely debt-free, and that's what we want to help you do. And by the way, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And oh, as a heads up, if you've been thinking, hey man, 
I like my house, but my kitchen's kind of outdated. What if we could get you the cash you need to turn your average kitchen into something your wife loves and it wouldn't change your monthly payment at all? Why wouldn't you do that? You see, you'd be reinvesting back in your own property. That's going to make your house worth even more. And oh yeah, you can do it with cheaper monthly payments at SaveWithConrad.com. Now I know it sounds too good to be true, but I want you to go check out our reviews for yourself. See what some of our new family members are saying at ConradReviews.com. You'll see there we've got over a thousand verified reviews. Our average rating is 4.72. And if we were a restaurant with a thousand reviews and a 4.72 rating, I know where you're eating dinner and I know where you need to do your next loan. It's SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? That's SaveWithConrad.com. Yeah, it kind of is what it is. Um, the throes of being a small business. Uh, the February 22nd impact opens with AJ introducing the evolution X scaffold match. He's atop the structure, cuts a promo about putting the X division on the map. Rhino interrupts styles, leaves the scaffold to avoid him. And Rhino says he's going to end styles career at the elevation match on pay-per-view. We get team 3d, uh, beating LAX. And a non-title belting pot match. I don't even know what that is. Uh, the, I guess the idea is this is about as Southern as it gets. We get guys hanging around the outside with belts, right? Yep. Uh, again, uh, when I look kind of on this era, we were naming lumberjack match and street fights, just about any flavor of the week from time to time. Yeah. yeah. But that's what it was. They, they do a video feature where they air uh, a clip of sting lying on a deathbed. And there's a metal grading platform hanging from the ceiling. He predicted life, uh, as abyss knows it will be ending soon. And he said, when he's raised to the heavens above, he'll have a chance to decide how he wants to live on this side of eternity. This is really good stuff from staying who would have helped produce this Dutch, um, Dutch and, and abyss, um, and Father James Mitchell, man, they, they got really deep into the story. And, I, and I'm not saying others didn't contribute, but they they thought about this program, obviously discussed it many, many uh, over and over and over, but they cared about it. And it showed, to me, it was reflective in the work. You know, you see Sting here as of late with his working boots on. You know, you look back on Sting's career, um, when he comes to work hard, and I'm not saying he doesn't, but in, in something like this, he really sunk his teeth into this story. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Robert Roode and James Storm are going to be taking on Eric Young and Lance Hoyt and VKM. Um, Roode is going to hit uh, Hoyt after crotching him on the top rope. And then Chris Harris reappears after the match and chases Storm to the back. Uh, I'm going to stop here real quick. LAX and team 3d match was five minutes. This is one minute. Everyone talks about AEW these days, having a, a bloated roster, but it seems like you're bursting at the seams with talent. Like you got a lot of names, but you just don't have enough TV time here. Do you know it? Same thing, but yeah, it, it was gosh, again, so frustrating in there during this times because Again, the pay scale, when you're looking at a guy and you're not really giving him full-time work, you know, we weren't running, running live events or a regular schedule. So when they came to TV, it was their only opportunity to get a payday. And they only got paid if they appeared on camera. 
And so you go to time in the show and you're like, oh, I'll shave a minute here and shave a minute there on a match. That'll give these guys time for a pre-tape or this or that. A- again, the product gets watered down. It, you know, it just, it was a, the pains of running a small business, as we've already said on this uh, episode several times, it was tough. So up next, we've got Andre Risen. Now he's uh, a famous football player who used to play with the Falcons and was a big time celebrity in Atlanta in the early nineties and had some controversial relationships, Google it. Uh, but he's part of the spike family. He's on pros versus Joe's and he's going to come out to promote, uh, that show. And then abyss winds up coming out and gives him the black hole slam. Uh, I know you're a sports guy. What was Andre rising? Like good. I mean, and, and that show, they all, when I say they, uh, pronouns, pal, uh, spike had very, very optimistic outlook on that program because the cast of athletes could be refurbished and replenished and turned over. And, but so those athletes who were, you know, at this time, Andre wasn't that far removed from his career. They all, you know, like a, uh, bad bunny. (laughs) <laughs> they, they wanted to do it. They wanted to get involved. Now we didn't have the ability to put him in a match and all that, but you know, Andre taking a black hole slam from abyss and rehearsing it. And they went through it. Uh, it, I think they had a crash pad and then Andre rising said, no, let's do it real time. And anyway, he was super engaged. And, and that was a, another cool part. I sat back, uh, you know, from the EP role and, and I was just like, man, Spike, it continues to stay engaged. That That's the thing. In these early years, man, they dug in and they continued to dig in because they kept seeing an ROI. The ratings kept inching up and inching up and inching up. Now something kind of uncomfortable. Two guys we think a lot of. There's a paparazzi I spy vignette. This is directly from the Observer. It featured Kevin Nash asking Jay Lethal to do more Macho Man. He said he wanted to try to do something else, and Nash said, Do it, you black bitch. And the last two words were bleeped. Nash had Lethal lean in, and he told him to play the race card. He pretended he was black and said he'd been doing it his whole life, and he presented Lethal with a black cowboy hat. I know these guys are friends in real life, and I know in real life Kevin Nash is anything other than whatever you might think that sentence makes him come off as. He is the polar opposite. He is the everyday working man, uh, from Detroit and is the exact opposite of how that reads. Right. Right. Would you agree? Gosh, I mean, he's a street basketball. I mean, he grew up inner city, Detroit playing basketball. Uh, very safe to say we've had these conversations many times being the only white kid on the court. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, there's zero exist in Kevin, but Man, Conrad, as I read that in research, the, you just it does not age well. Well, that that's an understatement. It's it's about as bad as me not watching Sopranos. I'll just say that. Well, I think this is worse than you not watching Sopranos. But here's okay, the thing: okay. see, I got that out of I, you. I, I get it's under the, the the guise of it being creative, and I'm sure in real life, him and Lethal were tight, and it's it just was. a segment. And it's a throwaway segment, but I don't know, maybe. How about this? We've all gotten better. So let's keep getting better. There you go. Well, uh, said. that's that. Is, I mean, that's about as truthful a statement as you can say. Yeah. I mean, listen, when I, this is not, better. this is not cool. 
But when I was a kid growing up, you know, when you're seventh grade, eighth grade, whatever, you're playing basketball with your friends and you talk a lot of trash to each other and you say words back then that you didn't realize had the impact they do now, you would never say that. And so everybody just, they get better. And so you learn more and evolve and we're all capable of that. But my point is, this is, I don't want to paint that as, well, this is how Nash really felt. That's not true. That, I mean, that's, I don't know. I'm trying to take care of Kev here. Cause Lord, I can't imagine it happening now, but I know that's not how he ever felt. So enough of that soapbox. Is there anything else we need to say about that segment? No, j- just overall the paparazzi. I, so, so to, to pull out of that, they were a series of vignettes of a six eleven guy in big, sexy, Kevin Nash. It's so preposterous yes. in a lot of ways that Kevin Nash, big, sexy, a part of the original NWO and everything that goes with this, but he is with a bunch of quote unquote X division, flippy floppy guys, which I never attuned to that, but serving multiple masters running creative, the number one complaint that I heard over and over and over again was the X division guys aren't having have any personalities. They can't tell a story. And I would want to just scream and say, no, you just don't understand the story. Their matches have stories. You just don't like it. You, you want a, whether it's a WWE style main event, or you want a tag main event, or you want Southern wrestling main event, or you want Japan, or you want Mexico. The X division is its style in and of it to itself, but it's new. That's what you don't like, but okay. Let's give these guys some character. We're all on their own. It was a little difficult in real life. Kevin was buddies with Sanjay and Jay lethal and Chris Saban and Alex Shelley and all these guys. So that's kind of the whole Genesis of, okay, Kev, Let's, let's get in there and you guys have some fun and your real life relationship, let's blow it up. And Kevin is a funny guy. And so let's make some of the stuff lighthearted because their car crash matches aren't so lighthearted. There was no comedy in X division matches. Meltzer wrote this in the vignettes with the X division guys, even though they are purported to be there to get the guys over as personalities, nobody's allowed to give any good lines as they all must be safe for Nash because the writers think Nash is hilarious. They are still deluding themselves with the idea that the guys in the skits will be over and pushed once they finish their character makeovers and they may at first, but you know how that goes. So Meltzer is pretty critical of your approach here. And I chuckle at that because out of all the X division guys and Kevin Nash, there's only one who has been trained to act. That'd be Kev. So is he a steam sealer in every scene? Yep. Is he much more comfortable on camera in vignettes? Maybe not in the ring in vignettes during this time. Yep. Uh, is he kind of the stir that draws the paparazzi productions drink? Yep. But Dave's got to sell his newsletters and get critical and write to his audience what would resonate with them. And so you hammer Kevin Nash any possible way you can. 
Cornette Steiner and angle. all have a contract signing at the paper or for the pay-per-view, which leads to a fight with cage and Tomko. This is really good stuff and reminds you why Scott Steiner was a top guy to begin with his interplay here with Kurt is just fantastic. It really is a shame that Scott's body broke down when it did, isn't it? Big Papa, man, uh, a true genetic freak to me in so many ways. I saw him uh, last weekend at uh, NYC at the big event. Um, you know, he he was very hard on his body through the years. Um, and I'm talking about even before he started wrestling professionally. You know, his amateur background, that ain't easy. And then what would that have been? About a three- to five-year hard run in Japan? Uh, that's a very grueling uh, you know, I'm talking about early nineties, those matches with Hase and all that. So, uh, big Papa, when he went singling in WCW, you know, he, he maybe at the peaks peak of his physical, uh, I, I don't know, but yes, uh, once his body started, you know, his calf and his shoulder, it, um, he, he began to break down. So Jerry Lynn's going to beat Jay lethal and Sanjay Dutt and Austin star and send in a ladder match for the number one contendership. And afterwards, Bob Backlund's going to shake hands with lethal and Dutt, but he starts arguing with star and put star in the crossface chicken wing Backlund and TNA. We're just throwing stuff at the walls here. Crossface chicken wing. Again, you can sort of see the, um, trying to add character to the X division. I get it. Yeah. It's that simple. So test is released by the WWE due to a wellness violation. Was there any immediate interest in bringing in Andrew Martin? Trying to think of the timeline, but I'll never forget the last time I saw him. Cause he came in and had some conversation and he wasn't in a good way. Uh, me and Andrew, um, you know, we had traveled some in 99 together. Um, right when he had got there, you know, as the bodyguard and, and all that, um, Andrew, good dude, man. Just again, another loss that didn't need to happen. Wade Keller lists you as the sixth most influential person in the wrestling business. <laughs> You're behind Vince McMahon, Kevin Dunn, Stephanie McMahon, Dixie Carter, and Paul Levesque. Quote, he was knocked out of the top five due to Dunn's rise and how he stepped down as the centerpiece wrestler in TNA for now. Despite a change of the booking regime in late 06, he remained the top authority figure in creative meetings. What fans want to see or what fans see on TNA TV is more than anything else, else his vision, a mix of Memphis, Memphis in the eighties, early nineties, WWF and Monday night war era, WWF and WCW void of much acknowledgement of changes in the industry beyond those years and an undeniable influence of UFC on the business side of pro wrestling's industry and the way potential fans view TNA upon first glance. So a lot to unpack here. I, it makes me laugh that Kevin Dunn, Stephanie McMahon and Paul Levesque are all above you, but they are, uh, what'd you think of his rankings of most influential? It's obviously just his opinion and how accurate is, is him or his description of the way he says you see TV, that it should be a mix of Memphis, early nineties, WWF and attitude era. Is it wait, uh, is he saying that's what my style was or not what it should have been, that's right? What, that's what he thinks it is. Yeah. 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 So, uh, comment on the first one, unless you've lived in the WWF ecosystem, 
I, candidly, I think it's very, very hard to, 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 to imagine it. You can write about it like Wade did. Uh, and I get all that and that's cool. But again, this is newspaper, uh, newsletter, clickbait, chatter, good conversation, rankings, uh, one through 10 always gets hits, always creates conversation. I get it. I didn't, I don't even recall him coming out with lists, but I think it's amusing. Um, as far as his description of my style, I still kind of find that whether he was pissed off at me because I wouldn't talk to him or, you know, I, I, I don't, whatever it may be, he, he fails to recognize the X division. He, he you know, he, he's not going to say that he hasn't said anything about, and I know we were just getting into it. Well, hang on. It, you don't see any influence from the Monday night war with the X division. You don't give credit to WCW at all for that. The cruiserweight stuff wasn't uh, an influence. I'm just trying oh, to know. So you're saying that? See, it, it was definitely an influence. Uh, the 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 cruiserweights, but I tried to make it the whole promotion an alternative. I always thought cruiserweights were maybe not opening match, but certainly never above a mid card status. Never. I my philosophy was um, it's the alternative and could main event any show. I didn't want to, you know, it wasn't about weight limits. It was about, that's where that phrasing came from. Not about weight limits. It's about no limits. So I, I think boxing, the heavyweights during the era, you know, boxing's, uh, heavyweights, the biggest, I mean, you, you say it could be main event, but it wasn't main event. It was often. Yes, it was. Okay. Joe, I mean, it was All not right. every show, but there have been multiple that's DNA main events. Destination X 07, the main event we're going to be talking about today is Christian Cage and Samoa Joe. Yes. And before that, it was Christian Cage and Kurt Angle. And before that, it was Christian Cage and Sting. And before that, it was Samoa Joe and Kurt Angle. And before that, it was Angle and Samoa Joe. And before that, it was Sting and Jeff Jarrett. And before that, it was Samoa Joe and Jeff Jarrett. Samojo X division wrestler. Oh gosh. But no, I'm, I'm saying we, we did, but that wasn't for the X division title. The X division was not a main event on a pay-per-view in this era. I'm not saying it never happened on TV. Okay. Yeah. But th that's, we, we tried to position the X division guys again. And I get it. We're splitting hairs. You wanted to make it more important. It didn't need to just be the appetizer. It could be an entree. Yeah. That, yeah. that, and that, yeah. so, so, but I'm going into Wade saying, but now I, I see where you're going with that. The, the WCW of Monday night was the influence. I, I just Wade, I, I, I get it again. I think we're, uh, or I'm going to, by the way, know. anybody who doesn't like eighties Memphis didn't watch it. Anybody who, who didn't like the heyday WWF stuff, you know, didn't understand. I mean, you don't understand the business. You can say it's not my favorite, but you have to also understand without the success of the WWF in the eighties, what are we even talking about today? Yeah. Uh, and, and then the Monday night war saying thing, same, same thing. I guess he's saying you're hanging on to what's worked in the past. Instead of saying it needs to evolve and become more UFC. Like by the way, Wade proved out to be wrong. And I know that some people are going to take issue with that. And they're going to say, well, look at the success of Brock Lesnar or what have you. Uh, 
but with the exception of Brock Lesnar, who was a pro wrestler and then got an MMA and Ronda Rousey, who was certainly a big boost in getting some opportunities on Fox and things like that. I can't say that we have a more MMA style. Don't get me wrong. There has been an influence. I'm not saying we're still tarring, feathering people or whatever we did in Memphis in the eighties, but the idea that we're trying to position this as if it is a UFC wrestling, still not presented that way. And I don't think ever will be. Oh, I see. I, that completely went over my head because to me in the fifties, people didn't think it was real. They said they thought it was real, but you narrowed right down to it. They would go, well, that's kind of some phony stuff, but now that was real. Well, hang on now. The suspension of disbelief is important, but what I'm trying to drill down is if somebody's borrowing from somebody else, MMA, when it's done best is because they're borrowing from pro wrestling. Ask coming out with Kurt Angle's music the other night. Come on. But ask Kurt, uh, not, not Kurt Angle, uh, Conor McGregor. He's a trash talker. He's cutting promos. He, uh, Floyd Mayweather's gimmick, Floyd Mayweather's gimmick, but his promos and the, you look at Floyd Mayweather before he fought Oscar de la Hoya in 2007, May Cinco de Mayo, 2007, they did a 24 seven bill to it on HBO. That's where the world was first introduced to this new persona, Money Mayweather. He's throwing cash at the camera. That persona had not ever really been featured before. That series and that fight against Oscar made him a star. But how did they do it? They didn't just say, here's this boxer from America, this boxer from Mexico, let's let them fight. Here's their heights and weights. That's what the UFC, by and large, is supposed to be. The way you get people interested and you set the hook is you tell the story. 24 seven told the story and you either wanted to see Oscar win or you wanted to see Floyd lose, but either way you were paying to to watch that show. I just think MMA and boxing window and well, they borrow from wrestling way more than wrestling should be borrowing from them. Yeah, I agree. There's a story in sports illustrated regarding a drug investigation and steroids. Kurt angles name is in the story. The story is based around a timeline when Kurt was in the WWF, but still, I wonder, does this make everybody on your side go, uh, what are we going to do here? I remember walking in the office and we got to have a meeting and let's get in there, a small group. And I didn't have a clue about it. So we get whatever little known facts. And then I said, okay, what are we doing? What can you do? Nothing. I mean, like what, what was the reality that see where it goes? Um, but anyway, that, that definitely made everybody's radar internally at TNA, but in result, nothing could really be done and and it, it, you know, kind of passed, but yeah, I, I do remember that whole internal discussion about this is about to come out and this came out and this doctor and all that kind of stuff. This year, it's time to get off the couch and get back into the bedroom. Blue Chew can help. Guys, we know that confidence can take you far in life. And when you feel confident, you're at your best, especially when it comes time to step up to the plate. That's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. You can take these dudes anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, the process is simple. 
Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And here's the best part. It's all done online. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. BlueChew's tablets are made in the USA, prepared and shipped directly to your door, all in a discreet package. And guys, I've heard the lady say there's nothing sexier than confidence. Well, BlueChew can help give you that confidence you need where it counts. And if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, Blue Chew can help. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew for free when you use our promo code MYWORLD at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com. The promo code is MYWORLD to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring today's podcast. Let's talk about some news that, uh, well... I can't wait to talk about, I'm going to, mm. I'm going to butcher the name here. This is from the torch, <clears throat> Bob Trobich, head of legal for the NWA and Steve Campbell, head of legal for Panda energy as a representative of TNA have negotiated to terminate the working agreement between the NWA and TNA. The NWA will take back possession of the heavyweight title and the NWA tag titles with a storyline to be set up at the destination X pay-per-view. Jeff Jarrett has been the third party representing TNA during the negotiations to cease the working relationship. There've been a lot of rules that the NWA NWA has that TNA has not been following as TNA has grown. And as the NWA name has become less of a marketing asset, a split was considered a strong possibility. Not long ago, TNA stopped using the title NWA TNA as its name. TNA though, did not want to abide by NWA rules, such as having to notify the board ahead of time. Whenever a title change was planned, they wanted to use the NWA name in all marketing and pay the NWA fee. If TNA ran an event and another NWA territories or members territory for those and a variety of other reasons, an agreement to split has been reached. I don't know how you feel on this, but I have a guess. The NWA hasn't mattered in a long, long time. They're not going to dictate anything to our business. They have no skin in the game. We tried it. We thought we could breathe some life into your dead promotion name. But if you're going to think that means you can dictate my business and what we do. See you pal. Is that about it? Yeah. What month was this Conrad? Uh, Cause I, I was, I'm going to, uh, as you were talking, I was backing up months. What? So destination X 07 was what month? Uh, I think that's March of, uh, of 2007. Yeah. Because by Slammiversary is when it became the TNA title in 07. These, th- we knew probably in 06 because of the, probably when we got on spike and the exposure and we were going to a much more mainstream and, you know, growing the brand, we knew I mean, I, I didn't predict the future, no two or three or four, but I knew pretty soon that we were headed toward, uh, you know, sep- going our separate ways because at that time, the NWA still had, I don't know, eight, 10 charter members and or members and all that. The, the relationship had run its course and us having to get title changes notified and let them know and all that, it just didn't work creatively. And so you kind of wrapped it up and summed it up, but it just wasn't working. And Steve Campbell, our attorney and, and Trobich, who was a part of the NWA, we knew that, okay, let, let's figure out how to, how to go our separate ways. The easiest way. 
just uh, a little crazy. Uh, March 1st is the next installment of impact. Christian cage is guaranteeing Tomco an NWA title shot. If he takes out Samoa Joe. So Christian's going to build a, a heel stable within three weeks. Uh, but none of them are really working together. Um, Kurt angle is going to attack Scott Steiner to start the show. Cornette's going to help separate them and ask Kurt angle, not to ruin this TV program. Lynn Sinshi and lethal are going to beat the X division champion, Chris Saban, Austin star and Alex Shelley. Uh, Dutt tells Jay lethal to do his Randy Savage impersonation, which he does to a big pop. And the guys being in the ring are almost a backdrop to Backlund towards the end. In hindsight, was Backlund necessary? He wasn't unnecessary, but I mean, again, one hour show cameos, a little star power, a little something different. Um, again, boy, we've used this a couple of times, the pains of running a small business and with a roster of a mix of unknowns and stars and veterans, but everybody wanted a payday. Wasn't easy, pal. Wasn't easy. I, uh, I absolutely love these skits that we're doing with sting. The next one we've got here is him in a casket, uh, being lowered to the ring. And he says, abyss is going to die at the pay-per-view. And of course, abyss is spotted looking at a picture of, uh, James Mitchell. Next up, Scott Steiner beats our old pal, Chase Stevens. Steiner and angle are going to brawl before and after the match. And Jim Cornette intervenes and tells angle to leave the building. And then angle attempts to put, or after he had tried to put a, um, ankle lock on Steiner, Chris Harris got a promo that he says, uh, he's got 35% vision in his eye and he's always got an eye on James storm. Alex Shelley introduces a video package of LAX speeding down brother Devon's former trainer, Johnny rods. That's kind of fun. And brother Ray is going to confront Shelley who distracts him long enough for LAX to give him a sneak attack. Is this Bubba's idea to include Johnny Rods? I think Devon had a hand in it as well. I think Johnny Johnny trained Devon, didn't he? Yeah, he uh, did. But I just uh, it's been said that Bubba was uh I don't know, yeah. he wore the Booker hat a lot. Well, but I think Devon was engaged in this as well. It was a good little deal. It's reported in the Observer in this era that Bubba requested to turn heel and you turned him down because you wanted Team 3D and LAX at lockdown. Is that right? You know, I don't know how far we got in discussions, but I'll just say this AMW, they wanted to split and we split those guys up, uh, again, the slots on a one hour show, Conrad, I think bully goes, you know what? I can go single and make sure I get in a singles program and get more paydays. I, I don't recall that specific, but that's what it sounded like to me. But look, but bully but Bubba later became bully in a singles program. So it's not like that was a, a, a an idea that Bubba didn't want to uh, switch heel and be single. He'd done it before TNA as well. Let's, uh, I can't believe this is real. We're setting uh -oh. up a match here with Samoa Joe and Tomko. Tomko beat uh, Tyson Tomko beat Samoa Joe. Quickly. And you, you like that idea? So when Tomko came in, we had high hopes for him. We, we, we wanted to craft him. I'll say this. 
Christian had super high hopes for him. Well, I mean, we all do. We want everybody who comes in to work out, but Samoa Joe's a guy who had an undefeated streak not too long ago. Yeah. And building for look, you don't, uh, hit home runs. Sometimes you don't even hit doubles. Sometimes you don't get on base. And sometimes you get hit by errant foul ball and knocked out. Uh, maybe not a red letter day, uh, for TNA creative, but yep. I read it as well. And I'm like, what? Yeah. I mean, I almost wanted to hang up on you the second time. Um, okay. I'm just okay. saying like, I mean, come on, Jeff. I know yeah. you don't, I know you don't watch Sopranos. I got that. Mm. But do you mean to tell me that you thought, Hey, this, this could work. Let's just put Tyson Tomko over Samoa Joe. Look with the long lineage of being the leader of the four horsemen. Oh, <laughs> look, I, you know I, what? I'm going to have to call our buddy that you thought was dead and he's going to take care of you. <laughs> Come on now, Connie. Oh boy. Um, oh Lord. Here we go. Uh, we need a little listen, Conrad. Um, it wasn't a good idea. Oh Lord. What music is that? Did you just say what music is that? Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I can't wait for you guys to meet Polly Bromwell. Polly B will be back next week here on my world. Oh, I love it. Come on, Conrad. This is the end of our tag team run. Uh, oh, <laughs> I know I get you stirred up. You do rebound in the ratings here. Uh, you disappointed them all. But 1.1 is the rating 1.4 million viewers. Hmm. That's some welcome news here. Is it not? It is. And look, when I've, um, God, kind of right. I've got a screen. I've got to send you, but anyway, the ratings graphs of 070809, you just kind of look at, cause there was a, you know, you, you, we can also Google a 1.4, 1.5 million viewers for spike. That was big numbers. It's it could because ESPN and in these days ESPN, TNT, TBS, USA, um, Hallmark. Anyway, Spike just was a, a, a top 20 network. We were doing great. A one hour show that came out of the gate that went from Saturday night, late time, Thursday off prime Thursday, one hour prime. We kind of had a rocket ship here going pal. Good numbers. I'll just say that good numbers for 07. Really good. So next up, we've got the go home episode for destination X. We've got angle and Joe cutting promos in the ring before Christian interrupts. And he announces the Christian coalition with Steiner and Tom co they're challenging angle and Joe to a six man tag later on in the show. We've got BG James teaming up with Kip James and Lance Hoyt to take on serotonin, which is Kazarian Bentley and divine afterwards. Raven's going to can the entire group. Mike Tanay presents Hector Guerrero with a special award. Abyss crashes the party and gives SoCal Val, one of the presenters, a black hole slam. Different time, different era. Do you have to run this past Spike that you're going to yeah. have a lady take a bump like this? Yeah, but man, from the Andre Rising black hole slam and and now SoCal Val, I know it's two different things, but. Man, just what a different era with the paparazzi, uh, you know, the, the Kevin Nash stuff. 
it's just really such a different era uh, across the board, but of course we had to run it by spike. And, and again, it being a tape show, um, we're not going to take any, you know, carefully edited around, uh, not that we didn't show it, but just handled it with kid gloves. Next up, we should, uh, recap exactly how this happened. Hector Grail 52 stayed with the TV and will be wrestling and involved in angle soon. They wanted to involve the Eddie Guerrero name, but Conan refused to do anything more than do passing references to Eddie and whatever angle they came up with. And that aside from acknowledging him as Eddie's brother, they'd go no farther in the Eddie direction. Do you remember what the plan was to use Eddie's name and why Conan rejected it seemingly? I can remember weighing in on and I more than weighing in on this, but the, the, the discussions are, look, Eddie's passed away. It, it, it just kind of sounds they're like, what are we really going to do? Oh, we got Hector over here. Spanish announce. Let's that that's, that's Eddie's real older brother. Let's get him engaged. And, and that was kind of the decision. I don't remember Conan saying, no, I'm not doing this or yes, I want to do this or I want to do it this way. It was. Eddie's a WWE talent that is it just nothing we could do with it. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I just think in terms of for Conan to put it down, maybe there was a line in there that was originally bandied about. He didn't like maybe for sure. And so, we know our bud, Charlie, he don't mind telling you, I don't want to do it Yeah, <laughs> or I'm not doing it. So we got Robert rude with Mrs. Brooks taking on Eric young and James storm. They're going to beat Sanjay Dutt, Petey Williams and Jay lethal. Gail Kim is going to jump Jacqueline on the outside during the match. Christian is going to drag Borash to see abyss and offers Borash as a sacrifice to abyss to join the Christian coalition. In response, abyss picks up Borash and throws him against the chain link fence. Was Borash cool with getting involved physically here? He was great. I mean, I don't remember that him ever, he was careful about it. We tried to be careful about it. Cause that is a an official, a backstage personnel, a non-wrestling role. But yeah, Jeremy was always game for just about anything. Next up, we've got angle and Joe and Rhino taking on Steiner, Tom Coe and Christian cage to a no contest. Rhino is the mystery partner here. And AJ interferes against Rhino in the middle of the match at the end. While angle has Steiner in the ankle lock, abyss comes to the ring and clears house. The lights go off. And when they come back on there's sting, he's fighting with abyss. An eight way brawl breaks out to close the show. It's a staple of nitro back in the day and in TNA. Hey, if it's the go home for the pay-per-view, we got to close with a lot of action. It's got to be a pier six brawl, right? Well, yeah, it, it's kind of a card played that how do you get, um, two, sometimes three hell, sometimes even four storylines out there where you can take a shot of sting and abyss and have Mike and Don do a sound bite there. You can have LAX and, and team 3d or whatever the feud may be, have a sound bite there, have a sound bite with Christian, have a sound bite with, you know, everything and, and try to go off with as much excitement, obviously to say, tell the, you know, let the viewer sink in and emotionally connect and say, I want to see this, this Sunday, uh, man. Conrad, weren't those some fun shows to watch back in the day? Oh yeah, um, throw, for you know, sure. Closing, when it was all new and fresh, you know. Here we are, eleven years later. It's you know, it doesn't have the same bite. 
Let's talk about some news and notes before we get into the show. This is my favorite part of these, not necessarily breaking down the matches, but the behind the scenes stuff quote, Dutch Mantel continues to write the television shows. This is according to the torch while Jeff Jarrett has final approval. Vince Russo contributes his ideas as well. Russo's pet projects are Ron killings, VKM and Christy Hemi Mantel's pet projects continue to be abyss, Eric young and Robert rude. Abyss is considered highly insecure by most wrestlers. In fact, he's notorious for following Mantel around before, during, and after shows quote, wherever Dutch goes, Abyss follows one wrestler noted. That's the story that's been floating around for quite a while is that the paranoid young character is actually based on Abyss's real life personality. He was very paranoid earlier in his run and constantly asked people whether he was going to be fired. Mantel is also a big fan of Kevin Nash's comedy segments. I've heard a lot of this pretty close. How close is Wade here? You know what's well, so, uh, as Conrad says, a lot to unpack here. So tell me what you want to start unpacking. As far as Dutch writing the show, it's just not accurate. You know, people used to say who writes this show. And I'm like, if you really want to know who actually writes it, nobody does. Rudy types it, you know, that's semantics. Oh, Jesus. Well, I mean, people would just want to drill down and all this, but Rudy would format it. But as we would go through it and having to play for lack of a better word, look uh, internally, you know, the formats would go out and then all of a sudden Dixie would want to nitpick this or that. And then for direction. So when we would, before drafts would go out, I would have match producer on the show, but I would also have a, someone that's like, so I would assign, or we would assign collectively Dutch or Vince to every segment. So the funnel, so the questions would finally come back to me. And so it wasn't all Dutch's show, wasn't all Vince's show, but we sort of collectively said Dutch or Vince is going to be on every segment or every match in a show or pay-per-view or television, whatever it may be. But we also had people, whether it was Demore or Jerry Lynn or Shane Douglas or Terry Taylor throughout the years, just all the different agents that would go through it. But, you know, we didn't have 20 producers like WWE is a very small group. But, uh, and so as you sort of laid that out, you had Dutch having these segments and it was kind of an easy thing. And so Wade would like to phrase it as their pet projects, or I don't know how you said it, but reality is it's just kind of how we divided things up to have accountability. Speaking of accountability, here's another note quote. Jarrett was adamantly opposed to offering sting a new contract at the rumored 500,000 per year rate. However, Dixie Carter rejected his pleas and personally delivered the contract for sting to sign. Now, a, is this true? And B, is this a matter of quote unquote, I don't think stings worth it or B we can't afford it. Well, you know, the finite budget we're, we're on right now. Yep. We've got Kurt on board. Yep. And Kurt had an, basically an X amount of dollars that were allocated to per impact. And then it was, so we didn't divide, let's just say hypothetically, Conrad say 52 impacts, 12 pay-per-views. So you have 64 slots, right? Yep. Over a calendar year. Out of that 64 slots, Kurt, let's just roughly say a million bucks a year. We didn't take 64 divided into a million. 
Dean said, let's lower that and have a couple hundred thousand that are really an overall bucket that it's, you know, cause we had to keep that show budget. It wouldn't have been fair for the show budget. So my over cautious, but over concern was Dixie, where's this? And I don't, not sure it was so oh seven, maybe it was 500 by this much. That's a lot of money. And I said, Dixie, where's this money coming from? Because if it comes out of impact budget, we don't have it. And if it's coming out of overall profits, what are we doing here? Like Conrad to get right down to it. Has your father approved this? Oh, there you go. It's, it's that simple because you know, you're, you're getting into, I knew they approved the Kurt deal every step of the way and we're resigning this. And look, I, I mean, can we afford Yeah. You said it, can we afford it? But it was also in, in the, truly the bottom line that this isn't, we're ain't talking about impact budgets. We're talking about profitability of the organization in 07. Let's talk about the X division <laughs> quote. Jared has told the X division wrestlers. He wants their matches to move as quickly as possible. He's even gone so far as to tell them that their matches should resemble video games with plenty of action and stunts. Is that accurate? Video games and stunts. I was playing. Oh man, Conrad, this, this takes me back. I don't say a dark time because it's not real. I've definitely lived some true dark times, but I would get so aggravated at certain folks from time to time that would hyper criticize X Division guys, basically saying they don't know how to work, they don't know how to tell stories, they're doing all this blah 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 blah. blah. I'm like. Yep, because they're not heavyweights. They are going to work a different style. We are trying to give them character and vignettes and all that, but don't tell them how to work their matches. So I would go to guys, the X Division guys, and say, do your stuff. Do do, do what you do. Now, I'm going to beg you when you get down to the last minute or two minutes or three minutes or whatever time allotted, tell your finish slow and make every false finish count. But in your high spots in action, it's, it's your style that you've developed, which makes you different from tag and women and, and, and heavyweights. So, you know, a good, that's a good Wade and Dave, uh, news and notes line in there, but I always encourage the guys to go do your stuff, like let it rip. So here's another quote. The buzz in the locker room is that Jarrett is still on bad terms with his father, Jerry. I don't know what you can or will talk about. What was your relationship like with your dad here in March of 07? Not good. We weren't on speaking terms. So no news during this time frame meant it was status quo that we just weren't, we weren't speaking during this era. Regarding Chris Harris quote to Chris Harris is also being punished by management. They grew so frustrated with his complaining that they have been keeping him out of the ring as part of the damaged eye storyline in the hopes of sending a message to him. The only problem is that most wrestlers believe Harris and storm are both working under guaranteed contracts, meaning Harris is paid the same, whether he works or not. Were you frustrated with Chris Harris in this era? And was he on a guaranteed contract where your punishment meant paid vacation Jones? No, no page vacation Jones to my recollection. Um, they had a little bit of a, they were one of the first kind of hybrid deals that we were 
I say, man, I would have to really do some digging. We need to get some notes out. But um, punishment, no. Um, tired of – there came a point in AMW, America's Most Wanted, when they wanted to split up. Now, I'm probably going back a year before that. It, it's You could never make them happy. Uh, they're two different individuals. James and Chris are two different guys. But Wait, they weren't on the same page? Or you no. couldn't? Okay. They, and it may be, and I'm going back a year in time. So finally we split them up and then, okay, guys, we split them up and then they still weren't happy that, you know, they, nothing, they were never satisfied with creative. It was very frustrating too. that, that there. Well, hang on now. You're lumping them both in the report here is not that James had an issue, but that Harris was. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. And that's that look. I don't want to lump them in, but there have been times in James's career that he it, at times look and like all talent, but he was sometimes hard to, to make happy. But Chris absolutely during this time frame was he, you know, and obviously later he left, but, um, it wasn't punishment. It was okay. You don't, you really hadn't liked anything we've done. Let's try this. You and I both think a lot of James storm and, and think, uh, he's, uh, when the bell rings and hell of an in-ring performer, I'm not hey, saying that to take away, but I'm just saying you and I, in our real life conversations, anytime he comes up, your first thing is always hell of a worker. Uh, so I know you hold him in high regard, but I do wonder, do you think maybe he got a little, you know, it was just described here that perhaps abyss was, uh, not secure in his position. Do you think when, when James ultimately saw Chris go to the WWE, he took a wait and see approach, saw how poorly it went and then thought, maybe not. Because I think a lot of times like we get people who say, man, James storm could have had a big run in the WWF. And then people have theories as to why, but if I saw my partner who we had a really good run with, who we did some really great stuff with. Go take a stab at it. And a lot of folks at that time, once upon a time thought, well, Chris Harris will be the bigger star of the two. And we know it wound up being James storm, but I think if I'm James storm and I see what happens to Chris on the main roster of WWE, I'm like, nope, I'll just figure it out here. And that, I think that came later, but you know, a thought just crossed my mind back in 07 and, and you weren't in the dynamic, but folks that were around this will finally, uh, 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 kind of, uh, nod their head in agreement. So in from 2002 of the launch until, I don't know, internally, who do you think would be Vince Russo's biggest arch enemy internally, internally? Not externally, internally. Jerry Jarrett. So Jerry got bought out in whatever year it was. And so yeah. he would become external. So I'm going to go, let's remove I, Jerry I, Jarrett. From I don't know. Who was it? Bob Ryder. Oh, I would not have guessed that. Bob Ryder detested Vince Russo's creative. And process. Bob Ryder was really tight with America's Most Wanted. Bingo. That all just kind of clicked back in that Bob didn't do them a lot of favors. Not that what Bob's advice wasn't warranted from time to time. And probably a lot of times I was in agreement with Bob and so would Dutch be, but they wound up hurting themselves. 
But the approach of talent relations or administration or travel or whatever bucket you want to put Bob Ryder in, working against another office employee and the talent taking their advice, Vince didn't get hurt and Bob didn't get hurt. And sometimes James didn't get hurt. Chris Harris got eviscerated. And that's just kind of the reality of the fact. A hard lesson to look back on for several involved. But that's the reality of it, that enough became enough. And there was a time where Vince Russo absolutely thought a lot of Chris Harris creatively. Uh, early days, but there came a point when Bob Ryder would latch onto a few favorites and immediately Russo put his guard up against those guys because he knew the position Bob was coming from because Bob back to uh, notes from Bob on one wrestling.com never made it a secret that he didn't agree with Vince's philosophy. Let's talk about somebody else who might not be happy with the philosophy here in TNA quote, BG James and Kip James were asked to be released from their contracts a while back so they could join WWE, but management refused to let them out of their deals. We just recently talked about them doing in character interviews with the media. Do you remember them actually asking for their release? Because in real life, you and Brian were pretty good friends. I don't remember them asking for a release. Um, you know, uh, Jill passed away in May of 07. So we're in March of 07. So as far as talent relations and contractual status and, you know, Terry Taylor and Bob Ryder and Dixie. So I'm not saying they never didn't ask for release. They didn't ask me. Uncomfortable to follow back here, but I feel like I need to follow up. You just mentioned, and I, I kind of forgot, of course you never will that Jill, your wife sadly passed away in May of 07. When asked about your relationship with your dad, just a few minutes ago, you said you weren't on speaking terms. Did your dad attend Jill's funeral? No. Were you upset about that? Um, in 07. Yep. Didn't even register it much more. He had just been out of your life so long. It just did what didn't, didn't even cross your mind. So we just had lunch last Tuesday and we have a lunch every Tuesday now. So, and y'all are on great terms now. Yeah. I, I just want to say there's a happy ending. Yes. It would, people work through this. So I just, I literally said this last night, waiting on appetizers. Uh, you know, we were uh, another guy at the table. Uh, we were talking about, we were talking about the podcast and he's like, yeah. I said, my partner has a way of, of just kind of, okay, we're going to sort of peel off this layer of onion and peel off this layer of onion and go here. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, heck, we've got <laughs> a, a plate in front of us that we've gone in 15 different directions, but it kind of all ties in. This is one of those things. I didn't expect this answer or this question today, but, um, I felt uncomfortable asking it, but when you mentioned it, I thought, well, this is a natural follow-up. And if I'm honest with you, Jeff, the reason I wanted to talk about it is because behind the scenes, I know the nature of y'all's relationship now. And I know a lot of our listeners have strained family relationships and that's just part of life. But the reality is because something's bad, doesn't mean it has to stay bad. Eventually, as we talked about in earlier, a different circumstance, 
we all learn and we all get better even with our family members. So to, to give you the context of how bad the relationship was, but now it's super good. We had been estranged since the Russian Olav or I've yeah. always, whatever that was, that's kind of when, uh, things really went South. Um, and so non-speaking terms and he's doing his deal and I'm going through life and all this and situation happened. But, um, you know, during this time I didn't, um, we weren't on speaking terms. Uh, so there wasn't cussing and fighting, just non-communicado. Um, but, um, my stepmom, Deborah, uh, was the very first person literally in the funeral home. So I, I say all this to say, maybe there's somebody out there listening because it's now that's my stepmom. Um, and, and when things went as South as they can go in the situation, she passed away. Deborah, literally, I showed up at the funeral home, obviously. She was the first one there. So, so you say all that to say, well, where's your dad? Well, he didn't feel comfortable enough coming, and he sat across the street in a restaurant during the entire service. I want to um, take up for your dad. I don't know your dad. I mean, I've hung out with your dad for a few hours, but I don't really know your dad. But. He probably felt like this needed to be a celebration of life and not necessarily, he might be a distraction or you had enough on you. You didn't need that too, but I'm glad to hear that these days, as we're talking now in 2022, I can count on every Tuesday. Y'all are eating some fried green tomatoes somewhere. We ain't at the red rooster with rubies. Uh, I love my rubies. So that's another shout out to a, a local diner, but I say all this to say Conrad, and we've really gotten off the beaten path, but he, here's kind of my whole thought from a life philosophy that I've learned. Death is a situation that everybody responds differently. Karen's yeah. grandfather passed away uh, at the beginning of this year. Now I only met this man 10 years ago. And he was in his early eighties. So his work life and the coal mines and the stories, and he had raised his daughter and then his daughter had raised three kids. And Karen, uh, was on her second marriage, obviously, um, second husband and, uh, her brother is on a second marriage. So he had lived a lot of life, but me and, um, Karen's grandfather became buds but over the last, since the pandemic, like got really tight because the shut-ins and I'd go up and see him on Sundays and he couldn't get around and he'd lost his wife four years ago. I say all this to say, Conrad, I haven't cried that hard in a long time when he passed away. And he was 94 years old, 44 years in the coal mines, lived a wonderful life. So what the hell am I sad about him passing away? I wasn't, it wasn't about him actually transitioning and moving on. It was something within me, finality of death. Everybody responds differently. And so I'm looking at the lens of my father, uh, of, of, of that entire situation. Just death is just different. Everybody look. And so that's why some folks have grieving times and Conrad, how the heck did you get on this subject? But man, I apologize. But no, it, it, I think it's, it is important. If people are out there, 
Everybody processes death differently, and that is a definite note that I have learned the hard way sometimes. And it has a, a happy ending with you and your dad. You know, oh yeah, I know I've said it two or three times, but I just want to be clear when we're talking about this, and it is a tough subject. We're not putting the boots to pop here. We're okay. uh, it's a totally different situation. Look, it, truth be known, and look, it's it's uh, splitting hairs when the things got really south in TNA and I got a call from Panda and they didn't actually believe that I wasn't in Titan towers. And I said, no, that's my dad. I'm the one who chose to pick up the phone and said, Hey pop. That was like a year and a half prior to this, I think. Wow. Okay. So that's when it really went. So, cause I just, I, look, I, I just said, Hey, you got to feed your family and I got to feed my family. And I didn't say these terms, but the, the end result was, I put business in front of family relationships. So I am for sure guilty for sure. Very, very guilty of a lot of crap in my life and my relationship with my father. I'll take all the blame or part of the blame. It doesn't really matter. I, I, it wasn't, he wasn't, I'll say this. He, maybe he wasn't the only bad guy. Maybe we both had fault, but Hey man, life and reconciliation and amends and, um, that's kind of the beauty thing in life that we got the opportunity to reconcile. And we had a hell of a meal <laughs> at Ruby's. <laughs> I hope you're getting some free meals out of this. Ernie Ladd is going to get a tribute to start the show as we're talking about the pay-per-view. Finally, here we are. Destination X07. Ernie had just passed away. Did you spend any time with Ernie at all in your career? No, but man, I mean, met him multiple times. He was, uh, I was at the, I believe it was one of the hall of fames, maybe the one he was inducted into in 94 in Baltimore way back anyway. Um, but that's one guy that I had always wished I could have seen him work live. I was always kind of enamored that here's a, a mega football star, like big time. And he transitioned and, and a big box office attraction and, um, had a long lineage with the NWA and, and, and Terry, it just, Ernie was a big, big, big star. He was just before national television. Let's jump into it. Before we talk about the matches, you guys did an online poll where you're trying to see who's going to win the main event. Quote, the majority of fans voted that Christian cage would beat Samoa Joe. Why is such a seemingly insignificant thing? So important. When a promotion is selling a championship match, particularly one involving Samoa Joe, one of his top two baby faces, the promotion should be able to sell the fans that the, that the challenger will win fans thinking Joe won't win showed us loud and clear that they have no confidence in Joe. When fans expect a baby face to fail, it means the damage has been done and badly. Do you agree with that? But the damage has been done at this point to Samoa Joe. I mean, you're beating him on TV with Tyson Tomko. Ain't no damage. What was, gosh, when I read this in the notes, Conrad, I just kind of was like head scratching. Like, so 07, a poll on our website got Dave this ruffled. Um, or, or is it okay. news? I don't know. I'm almost flipping it back. I, I don't, I don't know, but I don't think Joe was done by any stretch. Homicide and Hernandez are going to beat team 3d in a ghetto street fight. that go nearly 15 minutes. Meltzer says, what is a ghetto street fight? 
Damned if I know, since they didn't go over any of the steps. One of the reasons is they never decided until the day of the show. We had originally heard they would have lumberjacks, just not with belts, but that was next during the day. And they were deciding whether the finish would be pinfall or putting your opponent through a table. We already had a little Italy street fight, but there were no pizza parlors in the ring or stripper girls in cages. Here we had a bunch of weapons. There were garbage cans all over the ring. The match was hot, sloppy in spots, but hot, but knowing all the stuff they were going to do, it should have been later in the show. Fans were chanting. This is awesome. Believe me, considering chance later in the show, that was a blessing. So everyone's chanting, get the tables. They did the wise app. They had all the, the standard spots. Ultimately homicide and Hernandez get the win though. Um, machete is the long forgotten member of LAX. And they're all going to be brawling to the floor. Alex Shelley is going to come out. Um, Shelley's going to hit Devon with his video camera. They give Devon a frog splash through a table. Homicide pins Devon. Meltzer says some of this was great, but it got silly by the end. He gave it three and a half stars. Your boy Wade gave it two stars. In hindsight, ghetto street fight. Not a lot of thought put into that, huh? <laughs> Just uh, again, another version of, oh boy, Conrad. Yeah. Just trying our best to do episodic television and not be repetitive. Uh, I, I almost, I can hear Vince in one ear and Dutch in another ear. And Vince is saying, we got to do something different, bro. And, uh, Dutch is saying we got to create that emotional, uh, you know, personal issue storyline. Wasn't easy, but there was thought put into it. Maybe just not good thought, Conrad. <laughs> Meltzer would say, or Wade would say, Brother Ray has been campaigning for his team to win the tag titles. And given the number of jobs Team 3D has done to LAX recently, it appears as though that is the plan as of now. However, brother Ray's become irksome to Jarrett and Mantell due to his constant complaints regarding his storyline, which has led some to believe he might talk his way out of winning the belts. Although brother Ray isn't the most popular in the locker room, Devon and brother Runt are popular with all the other wrestlers. That was the story throughout their WWE run. And even dating back to ECW, is this why LAX kept beating 3d you're having trouble with bully Ray? My best recollection is no, it wasn't trouble. I mean, just there when Bubba wants to be charming and gregarious, he can be and Devon the same, but their sort of natural set points are Bubba's going to tell you exactly what he wants to do. And, 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 and business wise, anyway, no, the, the whole, if I remember this correctly, it was heat, heat, heat. They're going to win at lockdown. That was the whole beginning of the whole program by design. So that's kind of a chatter that Bubba wasn't irksome to Jarrett Mantell. Next any up, more, or let me say this any more or any less <laughs> than usual. James storm and Jackie Moore beat Petey Williams and Gail Kim in a double bull rope match. Uh, there's no cowbell. Uh, Williams sets up the Canadian destroyer destroyer. Easy for me to say Moore hits Williams with a low blow and storm super kicks him for the pin. Quote, crowd wasn't much into it, which was the theme of the show. Meltzer gave it a star and a half. Wade gave it a half a star. And I want to point out not that long ago, we were only given Meltzer ratings, but you chastise our creative team 
for saying that we weren't telling the full picture. What did Wade think? And every time, almost every time we've quoted both of their ratings, weights have been lower. So you signed up for this pal. what do you think? Well, we didn't have any dinosaurs back then that, uh, that would have got us to, can you believe the dinosaur has the same amount of five-star matches as Kurt angle? Why? Sure. Why do you find that? It's just interesting. Why do you find that? Why do you even find it interesting? It's not newsworthy to me. Well, you mentioned the dinosaur, not me. And by the way, he's a nice guy. You you brought him up. I don't know why you would do that. Because when I think of guys with five star matches, I think Bret Hart, Kurt Angle, the dinosaur—they all got the same amount. Okay, let's move on. Because I mean, I I think it's wonderful. And you know what? All kidding aside, I'm going to give my man Derek. I love Derek. Isn't it kind of? I, I want have let me ask you this on other of your other podcasts. Have you ever run a side-by-side of Keller Meltzer ratings yeah, all the time? Okay. I, but I, I would have thought that it might've been maybe even a little, I'll just say 50, 50. It's like 90, 10 Dave gives a higher rating. Yes. I, I, wouldn't you say, I mean, hundred percent. I think Dave loves wrestling more than Wade. Okay. I think Wade's more of a journalist. Wade really likes having a newsletter and, and doing interviews and that sort of thing. Meltzer, I think he's like you. He'd watch every match. I mean, except, except the Sopranos. I wonder if there's ever going to be a wrestling match on the Sopranos. I, I'm. This is our last show. Polly Bromwell will be here next week. <laughs> <God>. <sighs> um, from the torch, Jim Cornette spent a lot of time running and leading Gail, Kim, and Jackie Moore through their portion of the bull rope match prior to the show. Wrestlers were wrestlers were laughing backstage at how bad the match was, despite Cornette's best efforts. Is this just, you know, it feels like, Hey guys, we got to have gimmicks to sell the show. So let's have gimmicks. So the first one's a ghetto street fight. The next one's a bull rope match. What is a ghetto street fight? Doesn't matter. I can't work a bull rope match. Doesn't matter. (laughs) Way overbooked. Like this is almost like overbooked. I'm not, yeah, I'm not arguing that, but here's what I'm saying. People get to watch these shows every week on Thursday for free. Now they're coming out of their pocket because they're invested in a bull rope match. They're invested in a ghetto street fight. And then it feels like the fans cared more than the promotion did. Cause we don't know what the steps are, or we booked people to be in a gimmick match. who have never been in it before. And we have to have a manager show them how to do it right before the doors open. This is how you lose consumer confidence. Like fool me once. Okay. I bought into it. I'll buy it. But now that I know y'all don't really give a shit, I'll just watch it for free next week. Your thoughts. I was going to say, is there a question involved? Well, because I've always been curious. How do you get 1.4 million people to watch the doggone thing? And then less than 10,000 people buy the pay-per-view. And and I, I think. I'm not discrediting that another component is so how much time did we give the bull rope stipulation an opportunity for the folks to emotionally connect over a four week, one hour show buildup? Then why even do it? Okay. So our, we're for, forced with the question, do we have seven matches that no stipulations? The real answer probably is a little uh, 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 
what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, somewhere in the middle. Meet somewhere in the middle. Not every match have a stipulation. Pick one or two stipulations. But when you have well, it, hang on now. Here's the next match: Sinshi versus Austin Star in a must win with a chicken wing match. Okay, so I'm saying no. That's what I'm saying is we did it in every match. Yes. That, that and 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 the stipulations only mean something. It's like the game changer wrestling have a death match just to say, Hey, they had a death match. Uh, wait, yeah. You know, th- that kind of, th- it's overdone. I, um, I love breaking down these pay-per-views with you because you get to wear your wrestler hat and your promoter hat, but Meltzer makes a great observation in match three here. The crowd wasn't into these guys when the match started, which tells you how over these guys have gotten with those skits. They did end up getting the crowd into it when they did all their cool moves. To be clear, I know we're talking about Sinshi and Austin star said another way. That's low key and Austin Aries two ring of honor standouts who were absolutely tearing it up in ring of honor for years prior to this. Meltzer thought it was a flat finish, but a good match Backlund's involved because why not, but it's three and a quarter stars in the observer two and a quarter stars in the to- in the torch. I thought a lot of their work, um, but the involvement that all, if you would have told me the first time I saw, saw Loki, God, look at all the intangibles that this guy has. He's got a great look. He's a dynamic performer. He's flipping all over the place. Everything he does looks real. Probably cause it is. He's really legitimately kicking people's fucking heads in, but these kicks and striking and all that. Okay. He was smaller in stature, but boy, he made up for it. And it was just nonstop action. Much like when you compare a heavyweight boxing match with a lighter weight where those guys are just nonstop action. That's what Sinshi felt like, except, or Loki felt like it was almost like crouching tiger, hidden dragon matrix out of a video game. Holy shit. What is this? And I remember when I saw it, I was like, dude, all they need to make this guy top guy is get Bob Backlund out there with him. Because if Bob Backlund could pass the torch and fans at home could see Bob Backlund, raise his hand and congratulate him. Woo. Loki's just got money dripping off of him. Thank you. I appreciate the support. On to the next match, sir. <sighs> what episode or what season of was Sopranos been in 07? It's winding down. It's, it's over. It's the last one. Just like, you know, we thought this was the last, this could have been the last one for TNA, but it wasn't. VKM is going to beat the heartbreakers who you were not familiar with recently here on the show. Uh, I recalled it. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> The crowd totally rejected the heartbreakers as the mystery team of Christy Hemi. The deal is the former Bashams are coming in and will be feuding with VKM and be managed by Hemi, but they wanted to have VKM beat some people before they debut the Bashams. The crowd hated it and chanted go home F words at the heartbreakers. Again, hopefully we're all trying to get better. Uh, I can't believe this is real, but they said the match was real bad because both are very green. They only really have a great ring entrance. So naturally they didn't do anything resembling that here. And the James gang didn't do anything to work with them either. The, the torch gave it a, a quarter star. The observer gave it a half a star. Ultimately BG pins Antonio with a pump handle slam. Hemi's going to throw a hissy fit. The guys walk out on her. This is a TV skit. This ain't a pay-per-view match in my opinion. Were they substitutes on this? There was something about the Basham brothers are coming or we were waiting on another yeah, team, but they didn't, I, the Bashams. that's what I, yeah, they, the, you wanted to get a win for VKM before they start the feud with the Bashams. Yeah. And they just, but, and there was like, it's one thing for 
for, well, I, I consider Scott uh, a WCW star, but Kurt, a WWF star, Christian Cage, a WWF star coming over. But when I remember the impact zone specifically, they didn't want WWF talent on a part of their brand. Maybe Kurt, maybe Christian, but even like a Tomko or um, just other guys coming over, they wanted their own. I, I and and look, there there's some, you know, you look at the current AEW roster. Man, they are really getting heavy in WWF, former WWE guys. It's interesting to see how people when they get emotionally connected to a brand, they don't want to mess with it. Uh, but the Heartbreakers, it it was, it, I do. It was it was not a a, a red letter day uh, for the James Gang. Here we go. Let's talk about the next match. Chris Saban's going to beat Jerry Lynn in a two out of three falls match to retain the X Division title. Um, the match lost the crowd because where they ended up being two fights in the stands during the match, the crowd, which explained the crowd pops that didn't make any sense when you were watching at home. The wrestling was good, but what killed it for me was after doing the distraction finish leading to the finish of Sinshi star. It was too quick to go back to the same finish two and three quarter stars from the observer, two and a half stars on the torch, but Chris Saban and Jerry Lynn, it almost feels like they're incapable of having a bad match. Had great chemistry. Always had with Jerry again. He was a guy that, and we've had these conversations back in the day. Jerry knew how to put just enough, and I don't want to call old school, but traditional wrestling um, engaged and implemented in the X Division style. They Jerry had really good chemistry with AJ Styles, um, Saban, all of them. Jerry knew how to be the glue in that division for so many years. Next up, uh, this is going to be Rhino and AJ Styles in the Elevation X match. I should mention he, Rhino did a promo beforehand saying he was basically scared of this match, and he's the babyface who's scared. Can't say I get that. Um, it's described on TV as being 20 feet above the floor. Meltzer says it looks like it's about 15 feet off the mat. Rhino was scared to be up there. Styles didn't look scared. What'd you think of this? I mean, the observer gave it two stars. Wade gave it three. He liked the violence or the threat of violence, I guess. But the, the bump here, Rhino is going to hit a very toned down gore styles is hanging and eventually drops and he's falling, trying to take the bump on his back. He legitimately has the wind knocked out of him. All the panics, medical attention is here. He's carried it out on a stretcher. It's all planned ahead of time. But it was tense watching it because there is this threat. And I don't think a lot of our listeners maybe even know the history of the scaffold match and how it pertains to you. We can tell that story now or another time if you'd like. But what did you think of AJ and Rhino here in this first ever Elevation X match? There was debate that day on how Rhino should, because, you know, gore, 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 and Rhino's an ass kicker and, and all that. But Rhino to his credit and really just the creative process is credit in that he can't just step up to the microphone and say, I'm going to go kick AJ style ass at 20 feet in the air. That just didn't feel authentic. So I, I get it. Meltzer or Keller, whoever it was interpreted that, that Rhino was scared. I think the intent and maybe Rhino's acting skills or delivery, um, 
didn't, maybe they didn't come across that way. I'd have to watch that back, but we wanted him and he wanted to be concerned because he was concerned. He, he wasn't a guy that felt uber comfortable 20 feet in the air. AJ, on the other hand, he did have much more of a comfort level. Uh, and it showed, um, the spectacle and the look of the elevation X to me, um, I thought it was innovative. I thought it sold the danger and innovation and, and a different look. We all knew going in that you are limited up there on action, but I thought that it delivered. I thought it over delivered in action and I'll give 90% of that credit to AJ. AJ yeah. is just a, a generational performer. And, you know, uh, I ask him Dutch, ask him others, ask him, AJ, you okay? Oh man, this bump's easy. I'm like, Whoa, wait a minute, pal. And no matter how you slice it and dice it, you're dropping, you know, there, there's no, there's a difference in getting on the top rope and, and jumping up, you know, the set point being 15, 20 feet in the air, but I, I thought it was well done. Um, answer this question in two words. You can use whatever two words you want. So Pran. Oh, go ahead. In your opinion, who invented or created the scaffold match? Jerry Jarrett. We'll talk about that another day. Match number seven, Kurt Angle is going to beat Scott Steiner in 11 minutes and 42 seconds. Steiner came out with two women. Angle's going to deliver a sick headbutt at the start, which busts Steiner open hard way. He has three German suplexes and Steiner comes back with a belly to belly, but somehow the crowd was dead for this quote. They went way too long and Steiner was gassed and his offense was looking horrible with the exception of the Mark Henry match at the 06 Royal rumble. This was as bad of an angle match as I can remember angle used the Olympic slam and an ankle lock. It's just not working. Finally, angle wins clean with a slow and very delayed sunset flip coming out of the corner. The finish was delayed in taking the bump. And that made it look bad. The fans even chanted that was weak at the end of the match. Wade liked it a little better. He gave it two stars. The observer gave it a star and a quarter. I feel bad because man, once upon a time, Scott Steiner was arguably my favorite wrestler. I mean, the Steiner line, the hurricane Rana or the Frankensteiner. I don't want him to come to my house. Uh, just. Uh, an outstanding athlete and what a presentation with his brother as an individual, his promos are fantastic, but man, if you can't have a good match with Kurt angle, something's wrong. And at this point, it's not that maybe Scott didn't want to have a good match. His body had just been put through the paces and it just wasn't as easy for him as maybe it once was. Is that fair to say? They're both genetic freaks, and I think Kurt's conditioning has always been under the radar, maybe. As far I'm not talking about amateur. You know, an amateur, there's legendary stories of his training and his conditioning, wanting the gold, and he was as strong in the end of the third round that he was at the beginning, and blah, 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 blah. But his professional career, and I found, have firsthand experience of this, is he's at another gear as far as wind and condition and, um, his natural body weight, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say he was 
you know, at optimum body weight, but he wasn't, you know, I think Scott's body frame, you know, arguably 40 pounds, 40, 50, 60, 70 pounds over what a typical body, just the wind had, that's it. You just, so a bad match, um, the conditioning side of it didn't add up. I felt bad. I I remember, you know, I I was in the truck for this. I just felt bad. It was Scott was out of gas. Next up our main event. We talked about these great vignettes of sting on the way here to this pay-per-view. And now we're going to get to see it pay off at sting and abyss in a last rights match. They go nine minutes and 40 seconds. And the rules were that instead of a bed, like they had promised on TV, there's now a casket that's going to come down from the ceiling. You have to put your opponent in the casket. They would then be raised to the ceiling with the idea that they're going to heaven to say this step didn't get over would be the understatement of the year as they had the mechanical lowering of the casket during the match, the crowd chanted loudly, this is stupid. And then they switched to fire Russo. The crowd was quiet from that point forward. Even though sting was busted up badly from being hit in the match during the match, sting was afraid he was going to lose his eye, but didn't panic and continued the match. Me, I know the rules of wrestling, but I would have said, fuck this match and gotten out of there. This match killed the show and it wasn't the fault of the work. People have seen too many gimmicks and this one came across as low rent stupidity. Sting was bleeding all over the place and nobody cared. Abyss put him in the casket, but Sting blocked it like the undertaker would and still nobody cared. That made it worse because it looked like a WWE copy and the undertaker is so over right now that copying him can't help, but come off badly. Sting put a tombstone next to Abyss's face and hit it with a baseball bat. He tried to put Abyss in the casket, but Abyss grabbed him by the throat, got out and choke slammed Sting on the top of the casket, bending it badly. Abyss then put another tombstone on top of two chairs. Sting then hit Abyss uh, with the candelabra and he fell into the tombstone, breaking it. Sting put him in the casket, closed the top, and he's raised to the ceiling. The observer gave it a dud rating. A dud is as low as it goes in the observer. Torch found a way to go a little lower. They gave it negative two stars. The crowd dies. The chant, the crowd's chanting, this is stupid. Are you watching this in the back end? Do you just about halfway through just want to go get in your truck and drive the hell home to Hendersonville? It was so overbooked. I mean, this is the whole show. We've sort of going through it. it. It was overbooked. Um, that's the best way for me to uh, f- frame it. it. It, you know, it, it didn't, it didn't click. Uh, there's some different things that I've watched through the years, uh, over on impact plus, but I didn't watch it on impact plus back in the day, YouTube, you know, the crowd reaction in the impact zone from time to time would be r- atrocious but for the most part they were great but on like like something like this when you i don't say lack of action but yeah more storyline than action it just kind of opened the door for their and man russo had some haters in the impact zone they and they would come unglued during it Wade would say the reaction from management to the fire Russo chants that were audible on the pay-per-view broadcast is that the quote, smart marks are trying to take over the show end quote. Although some wrestlers say the fans are misguided when it comes to blaming Russo more than Jira and Mantel for the problems. Most agree that management 
is oblivious to the company's creative issues. What say you? Well, again, I, I will say a lot of times Vince got a hundred percent of the blame when at the end of the day, ultimately it was my decision. And ultimately Dutch had plenty of contributions for it and the entire creative team. And we didn't arrive at the building and say, Hey, we're going to go put on a crappy show. Uh, again, going back to the one hour format, uh, with probably twice as much talent as we should have had. Um, it just made for some recipes of storylines and matches with zero emotional connection. But back to the original comment, is it overbooking? Yes. Uh, in result, not one of our better performances. So Christian runs into the great Muda after saying he's all alone because Tomko left him for Japan and Steiner refused to have his back. He asked Muda to watch his back. Muda responds by spraying green mist all over a locker and that's it. So the observer would say that Muda's here because he met with you, Dixie and Andy Barton at TNA. And there's already a report back in Japan that he signed a working agreement with the company. And it's viewed as a major coup here because all Japan claimed it gave them the right to book Kurt Angle away from new Japan. Muda was originally in town because unbelievably he's working with the insane clown posse. And as the story goes, he was scheduled to meet with both you and John Laurinaitis. What do you remember about this Muda deal? It was a cameo. He was in town. We were trying to figure out whether we were going to do business or not. I'm not exactly sure where the new Japan relationship was at, at, at the time, but, um, look, I'd known Muda from the WCW days uh, again, and this is what's kind of fascinating during the, the two thousands, obviously in the nineties, but during the, the Japan situation, it was just a different era. We've covered Hogan going over there and the dome shows they had begun to do it just a different era. But my best recollection, Muda was in town and did a cameo and we were going to see what kind of relationship, if any could be had. Next up, Christian cage beats Samoa Joe to retain the TNA or the NWA title rather in 17 minutes and 43 seconds. Joe had the cool Samoa dancers doing the fire dance for his ring entrance. So that feels pretty big time. And Meltzer said it turned into an excellent match. Uh, eventually Christian acts like he's going to walk out and Mike today screaming on commentary that the TNA title can change hands by DQ, but not on a count out. So Jay lethal, Petey Williams, Sanjay Dutt and Sinchi are on the ramp and they're going to block him from leaving. Uh, we have a ref bump as Christian put Rudy Charles in the way of Joe's kick. Joe uses a shoulder breaker, but there's no referee there. Christian then uses a chair to the head, but he misses a chair shot and gets hit with a muscle buster. He kicks out and uses a low blow. So now Christian goes to the top, but Joe puts him in a choke. Christian kicked off the ropes and lands on top and uses the ropes for leverage and gets the three count. And then afterwards, of course, Joe choked out Christian, but the match is over. Meltzer says the finish was clever, but it was the wrong finish for the time. He gave it four stars and so did the torch. We've got a ref bump in the main event for a title match. Maybe not the best time for that. In hindsight, do you wish you would have put it on Joe here? There was, you know, hindsight, maybe, um, there was always that he was just a juggling act. Uh, and, and we looked at going back to the business format, monthly pay-per-views in hindsight were the killer. They were, we were trying to get enticed people to buy and they weren't ready to buy and the results show it, but 
on the flip side of that, um, let me back up a little bit. Did you ever see the Joe entrance with the dancers? And yeah, everything? that's cool. I loved it. I, you know, Joe wasn't the biggest fan of that, and there was a little bit more elaborate and all that. I at one time said, "Can we do that every show?" Because Joe actually doing the 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 dance with it, uh, and I say dance lightly, but man, I thought it brought so much personality and charisma to it. And this match, uh, folks, as Conrad would say, go out of way, your way to watch it. It was a hell of a match, no doubt. Uh, they pieced it together. Incredible false finishes at the end. Should you have gone over? Maybe. Here's a report from the torch and then we'll wrap it up a uh, couple minutes. Wrestlers do not have faith in Christian cage as their world champion. The widespread feeling is that while he's very entertaining on the mic, his value drops the moment he enters the ring. Although everyone agreed that he had a very good match with Joe at the pay-per-view most give credit to Joe and say he needs to see Christian rise to the occasion with another performer before they'll give him credit. I don't know. I've never heard anybody say that Christian couldn't have good matches. I just don't think for whatever reason, at certain times, fans bought him as a top guy, but a lot of that has to do with booking. You know, if you're beating top guys, you are a top guy. So maybe that's what we're doing here. But I think out of the two Samoa Joe probably had more momentum, more momentum, but that's just me. But I've also heard that between me and you and the fence post, Vince Russo wasn't sold on a good old Samoa Joe. Um, man, that's actually a lot to unpack there. The, the other thing was Joe gets the belt. What do we, where do we go then? Well, like what, what, what it, where do we go there? And I think by this time we had sort of set our sights that the belt was going to go back on Kurt, um, or head in that direction, um, or, or put it on Kurt. I, I mean, there was a, a lot of moving parts, I, I, man, am I going to say I have the best recollection of, of winning and losing. It just wasn't ready, but there were people that would, would debate, um, God, man, that that's where the headache comes in. Nobody could agree on who should be champion when and all that, uh, you know, so we're going to put it on Christian. And then I was anti flipping and flopping it. Vince liked to switch the titles a lot. Dutch hated that. Uh, so did Joe probably have more momentum? Yeah. But was it, probably the right move to keep it on Christian. I would stick. I'll stick by that answer to uh, that. The decision today, the observer wrote a little note about how the company was responding to reviews of the pay-per-view quote this month. David Sahadi was reading aloud some website reports on the show and Dave, make sure to note, not the observer. <laughs> a funny thing is as they were ripping the show and calling it one of the worst pay-per-view shows of all time, Jim Cornette says, why are we even listening to this? And Mike today cracked up the room by saying, because the New York times doesn't cover our pay-per-views, Don West got very mad. And somehow in this discussion, it wound up with everyone agreeing that the negative reports were because the people were on the WWE payroll. As for the fan chance, that's because they're smarks trying to take over the show. Why those same fans were going crazy, praying the good matches and not dealt with timeout. Do you remember this? I don't, I, I mean, it, it just, I'm trying to think where would Dave have gotten any of this? I, I don't look, am I saying it didn't happen, but it just sounds like really good. That's what I'm saying. Maybe it happened, but there's some good fiction in there. 
Look, because he went out of his way to say, not the observer. Ah, I'm calling a flag on that. The show gets an estimated buy rate of between 25 and 30,000 buys. That is an increase over against all odds. Overall, when this is said and done, are you happy with the pay-per-view? Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. I'm sure I walked away from this one going, let's get on to the next one. Just because of what we just went through. Overbooked, over stipulation, um, th- that kind of just, I, I, I'm sure I didn't jump for joy when it was over and the pressure uh, of, of everything. I, I certainly didn't sit back and say, Hey, let's go celebrate. No, it was on to the next I- impact episode on spike and let's keep getting our numbers up. Let's talk about impact for next week. We're going to be talking about Lance Russell, his commentary. Oh. His impact on you, your family, his standing in Memphis and the man himself. A lot of our listeners who really just were familiar with you from the WWF, WCW and TNA, they may not know about Lance Russell. And when we talk about great personalities in wrestling, it feels like we always go to Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone and maybe even Gordon Soley, but Lance Russell and his contributions criminally underrated. And we're going to give him his flowers next week. And I'm excited to do it. What can you, uh, Tell us about what we might be talking about next week. I can't wait for research to get different sound bites because Lance had the uncanny ability to deliver the opening lines, the question after the talent made uh, a, a response and Lance could make a comment and then the talent could basically finish the promo and walk off and Lance would, would, would interject a little closing point in his opening middle and ending were the meat of the promo that the viewer remembered, but psychologically and subtly they thought that the talent had just conveyed that message. Unbelievable magician. I don't know why, but it tickles me to watch old clips of Lance Russell and hear him. Oh, come on, Jeff. The, oh, come on. Oh, so classic. Let's get Eddie Marlin out here. You know, and, and here's kind of the context of that, that when you look back over the history, Lawler and Lance, Lawler, a heel, Lance was the, and a lot of, you know, Lance had personality out the wazoo, but Lawler brought it out of him and gave him a platform to have that interjection of, Get Eddie Marlin out here. Oh, now let me just tell you something, Jimmy Hart. I just, you know, just his, his delivery of realism. He, he was so, the Tupelo concession stand brawl. I text you or, or put it in the notes, his little timing of, Hey, Hey, we're out of time. And then right into just, he's really, he was really, really good. Um, and, and a lot of people forget that he actually worked for WCW for a time frame. And that Lance wasn't quite the Lance Russell of WMC TV, uh, Memphis wrestling. We're going to be talking about it next week. Don't forget. You get all these shows early and ad free. And, uh, I'm looking forward to being back next week. I guess I'll stick around at least one more week and talk about Lance Russell oh, before. Well, here's the thing. Your book reports do you're going to talk about these first five episodes and what your favorite parts are, what your favorite characters are. And if I'm not satisfied. It's you and banana nose. That's our last time together. We're out of here after that. 
Oh, man. Have you been watching uh, Ozark? I've seen them all. I love it. Wow. So you are, like, Karen's a big streamer. So you, 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 you stay caught up on all your strength. Yellowstone? Yep. I haven't started. I just started uh, 1883 last night with Cassio, Big Booty Judy, and my wife and uh, our daughter, Kansas. <laughs> Uh, but that was our first time seeing that, but see Megan and I, you know, she didn't want to watch wrestling and she'll put up with sports, uh, but it's not really her favorite thing. She's more, she likes basketball. I'll watch about playoff basketball, but you know, football it's kind of on and she'll pay attention and she knows a little bit, but yeah, a good show. I can convince her to watch and she's not like me. She doesn't want to watch a bunch of documentaries. You know, she wants now, you know, like there's this new show you might like called dropout talking about the whole Theranos disaster. She's fascinated by that. She watched it and was interested in it because of a great documentary. I convinced her to watch, but as a rule of thumb, you and I like most of the same stuff, but the way I get her to watch something, or I agree to watch something with her is we watch these shows, but she too had never seen the Sopranos, but now she's been enlightened and she agrees it's the best show on TV. So you owe me five episodes. The history of TV. Yeah. It's the best show of all time. Better than Andy Griffith. Way better. Who'd he ever beat? <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. Check out the Sopranos or, and you've got to have your book report. It better be typed double spaced borders, the whole thing. I want it. And we're going to be talking about Lance Russell next week. By the way, if you miss our talk at the top of the show, I encourage you hurry supershowlive.com. Snag your tickets for sure. You want to be there. You want to be able to say that you were there to see some of these surprises, do your meet and greet, do your happy hour, get to meet everybody before the show. But more importantly, order the dog on pay-per-view anywhere in the world. You can watch it live or on demand, but if you pre-order right now, hurry supershowlive.com pre-order, you're going to get that Jeff Hardy card in the mail. Uh, I'm fired up for folks to get it because I know they're going to get it signed. They're going to get it rated. They're going to get it graded. And they're going to stick it in a safe and they got money in the bank, man. It's coming their way. This is the only time I think you'll ever see a non WWE, non TNA, non AEW trading card, supershowlive.com. Jeff, this was a fun show. Thanks for all the time. And man, we went over two and a half hours before we even had commercials. So we went Love long it. form today. Super granular. As you'd like to say, super granular. We're giving away money. Conrad NWA is coming up next weekend. Um, Going to a WWE live event. NWA is coming up this weekend, Jeff, this This weekend, weekend. Crockett cup, two night extravaganza. And I hear they're not just bringing in goofies like uh, you, Uh, they're bringing in big stars like David Crockett. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I'm also going to Springfield, Illinois, going to a WWE live event. We got the St. Patty's day parade, busy man. Going to enjoy the beach, buddy. April 1st, we'll be here before you know it. I guess this is uh, your way of telling me you're going to be at the Crockett show. You're not going to be at my 80s themed party on the 19th. Correct, sir. And I guess I this is your way of telling me you won't be at the WWE live event here in Huntsville on Sunday, the 20th. It, they, are, you, are they in Huntsville on the 20th? They're right up the road from you guys at the Crockett Cup. So fans in Nashville have to decide do they want to see Nick Aldis and Matt Cardona or do they want to see Roman Reigns in Huntsville? And I, myself, I want to see Nick Aldis give, uh, go ahead and give Matt Cardona the what for. I love it. I mean, you can't really think a lot of Matt Cardona, the performer, do you? I mean, I know he's your friend in real life, but that's all sort of tongue in cheek. You I prefer Nick on, Aldis, right? I went on a, a local CBS show last night. And I said, if you could draw somebody in 2022 who should not be the NWA champion, it's Cardona. 
And yeah. I've bat- I've actually told Matt that himself. You you are a WWE product. Period. He's done well for himself coming out of it, but uh he calls WWE his developmental program. I kind of get a kick out of that, but we'll see. Double J's got something up his sleeve. Pickafight.com, order the pay-per-view, check it out for the NWA. Pickafight.com. It's your place to be this Saturday and this Sunday. Uh, and uh yeah, in the meantime, if you if you're in the Destin area and you're hitting a buffet looking for some snow crab legs, I assure you, Jeff Jarrett's got a bib around his neck ready to go and right they're, on. They're gonna regret seeing him. See, th- they <laughs> wince when me and Cassio and Dave Silva come in. We're the opening act. Old Jeffro's the main event. He's going to eat his weight in crab legs this week. Conrad, I had dinner at the 1230 club in downtown Nashville, right across from Bridgestone. Buddy, we got to go there. Can't wait. Looking forward to it. And I'll see you guys next week, right here on my world. Peace, my friend. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.